0: Episode 265, and what a treat. Look who I have here. My old uncle is. My great uncle is, Graz used to say when he got up to about 96 or 98 years old, when all his great-great-nephews would come in, and he had no idea which one was which. He would say look who's here so he didn't have to go out on a limb <laughs> he never had to he never had to stick his neck out by naming you by name look who's here
1: that's smart <laughs> that's sm- a smart way to go
0: well I want to say look who's here the groz is here he's in for hot shot Scott on a very special edition of episode 265 you know why this is special besides your presence Groz me Mitchie. well two enormous football games on a Thursday night. And then the real big one on a Friday night. And now we've got the college football playoff. We know what it's going to be. We know that Washington ended up number two. We know they're not going to play in the Rose Bowl. They got to go down to the Sugar Bowl and a rematch with Sark. I mean, this is this is sports heaven, is it not, this episode? 265? Yes.
1: You're absolutely right, Mitchie. You're absolutely right. Absolutely fantastic, both those games. Although Thursday obviously didn't work out the way people wanted. Friday, oh. That was something else.
0: Ah, oh, unbelievable theater. It's why we love sports, isn't it? Those two teams, don't you get the feeling that Oregon and Washington could literally play a hundred times and all hundred of them would be epic right down to the end one one way
1: or the other, no? Absolutely felt that way the last two years. Perfect matchup for each other, right? God. Just a perfect matchup for each other. And, you know, I think the difference in those games, all three of them, is coaching. Really, you think DeBoer got the better of? of Dan I, think in, I think he did, and I think Lanning, especially in the in the game here, you yeah. know, kind of fumbled things towards the end. DeBoer, on the other hand, you know, is him and uh, Grubb, the offensive coordinator, are just an amazing combination because they give Washington, I think, this this overwhelming confidence and belief that they're they're going to be they're going to be all right. That's why I think they're able to win so many close games, and how Penix is able to keep his cool. Because they really trust the coaching staff. And, you know, I think about that call in the Apple Cup, just to digress for a minute, yeah. on 4th and 1 was just absolutely fantastic. Oh, God. And, you know, it's the sort of thing when you make a call like that and it works out like that. Players get it. Coaches get it. You know, they they know they're on the same page. And this is the team, I don't want to say they're most on the same page that I've ever seen because that sounds stupid, but they are more in sync than a team than a team I've seen in a long time. I mean, everything seems to be working for them the right way right now.
0: Mm. What if you picked up Deboer and Grubb and brought him over to the Seahawks and had him uh, do the offensive scheme for the sea? You think the Seahawks would be in better shape? How do you think? How, how do you think the Seahawks do on fourth down compared to the fourth down call that you're talking about in the Apple Cup? Is it a little bit of a difference?
1: Just Rob? a little bit of a dip? It's not, 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 not quite as good. Not, not quite. Not, not quite as good. But, oh God! <laughs> no, I mean that was, yeah. that was that was that was rough. I mean that yeah. was really rough because that was a game. You know, you didn't look like you were going to win it to begin with before you took the field. You're you're almost a 10-point dog. Correct. The NFL, that means you're beat. Yeah. And instead, they become the first team to take the lead over Dallas in six games, for crying out loud. they first team to take the lead at home against them. Unbelievable. Led at halftime, had an eight-point lead with 14 minutes to go. I mean, they did everything but win the game. Well, this is the warm-up. This is the warm-up
0: segment, as you remember, Graz. You know right, that, right? right? This is I a- appreciate you reminding me, though. This is you know, <laughs> old and doddering. We're just in the bullpen warming up. We haven't officially started the show. I've got to tell everybody that Mitch Unfiltered with the Graz is available everywhere. Subscribe on any podcast platform: Apple, Spotify, Google. Listen and rate and review us, please. Five-star uh, ratings really help. If you like the more regular, shorter shows that I do for patrons, you can become a patron, five dollars a month. We've got the show with Slick and Danny O'Neill. On the weekly shows, Randy Mueller, Brian Nemhauser, Brady Henderson. We've got a, a large cast of characters now on Mitch Unfiltered. And for $5 a month, go to MitchUnfiltered.com, become a patron, and have extra short, short version of the programming throughout each week. I got to tell everybody that the Beat the Boys Week 14 is coming up, Graz. It'll be uh, these three games that we ask you to pick this week, the Jags and Browns the Broncos and Chargers, the Eagles and Cowboys, and you'll need a password. You'll need to prove that you listen to this show. The password is The Graz, T-H-E-G-R-O-Z, all one word, all lowercase. Now, guests on this episode, 265. Well, we've got a guest host who uh, trumps all the guests, and he's wearing a, it's interesting, he's wearing a Seahawks hat, but I happen to know from the old days that he grew up, Ohio State Buckeyes fan yep. and a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I yep. I need to know when you sat down in your family room chair with Bonnie and the dog nearby, who were you pulling for on Thursday night?
1: Well, you know, I became much less of a Cowboy fan back in eight or nine years ago. when remember Greg Hardy? Sure,
0: sure. Oh, the thug. Oh, yeah. With the gun. And guns, Jerry
1: Jones yeah. called him a team leader. Yeah, yeah. And we're thinking, this is this is this team's I lost not for you. Me. You lost you. It lost me. So I mean, I, I've come back a little bit, but no, I was rooting for the Seahawks because okay. I. Okay. Uh, and and Ohio State, another story. But, okay, um, we'll come we're not back. Even about that. We'll come yeah. back to it. Episode two hundred sixty-five. Guests
0: on this show besides the Graz, you got you got a guest star. You know, they used to say like, and guest star. Morgan Fairchild on, even though she was on every week, she was the guest star for some so, reason. Of well, could you give, me, could you give me
1: an and at the end? Yeah, an and. Like it goes through everything and yeah, then, then and, and, and. and. And,
0: right. We've got Rick Neuheisel who's on every week and he'll oh. have plenty to say about the college football playoff. Did Washington in some way, shape, or form get screwed? And I'll talk to Graz about that here in segment number one. Should they be playing in the Rose Bowl? Did they have a better resume than Michigan? I think they did. Rick Neuheiser will be guest segment number one. Then Danny O'Neill, your former co-worker, Over there at ESPN 710, Danny O'Neal, he's like the cat who ate the canary. He went to Washington. He's loving life. He's got his Washington win over Oregon for a second time. He's got his team in the college football playoff. And then the Seahawks no table will be segment number three, guest segment number three with Brian Nemhauser and Brady Henderson. We'll reflect on that Hawks close call in Dallas, Then the 49ers game is next you know what, Mitch,
1: this is like this is like remember those old movies from the seventies that had the all-star casts? Like the Towering Inferno <laughs> yes. or Earthquake. Yes. I mean, they just listed the name after name after name after name. I mean, that's what you've got going on here, man. Like, like Smokey and the Bandit? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I think of the Towering Inferno is Paul Newman, William Holden, <laughs> Charlton Heston. Nobody knows. They just kept, they just kept coming. Uh, I know, I know. Roz, We're Roz. The only ones who know who those guys Roz, are. Roz. Some Yiddish
0: uh, some Yiddish guy saying these two are a bunch of old Altacockers. Uh, They're talking about names we never even we never even heard of, for God's sake. Oh Roz. my Lord, you're right. You're right. All right. So guests, Rick Neuheisel, Danny O'Neill, the Seahawks Note Table, and Dave Grosby. <laughs> so we've got the Graz Infra hotshot Scott on this episode 265, which doesn't happen without our partners like Evergreen Golf call, Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, football season winding down now. Specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. We're down to Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays now, the end of the college football season. $10 off of all orders of $40 or more at all Zeke's locations. All you've got to do is use the code PIGSKIN10, P-I-G-S-K-I-N, and the number ten homegrown in the Northwest, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys Week fourteen password the Graz. all one word lowercase t h e g r o z one word a thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner of the Beat the Boys competition and everyone who beats us over the course of the year. Wins a prize. Check out new fireplaces and garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. As we begin conversations about downsizing, as our youngest is getting ready to graduate high school, it's terrific to have Jordan Flowers on our team. I'm in good hands. You could be, too. All your mortgage questions and needs, 425 890 Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. There's not much better. And you really should consider the original location in Leschi because it just reopened after a major facelift. It's our next stop for sure. Daniel's Broiler. You got to love them. World-class steakhouses. This is episode 265 with the Graz, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. How many times we all like Tariq or Reek Woolen, but how many, how many games is he going to have a hands-to-the-face uh, penalty 45 <laughs> yards across from the play right. and give them an automatic first down after we stop them on third and 15?
2: Unfiltered.
0: People can watch the same game and have two polar opposite yeah, opinions. It is interesting. I was reading social media into the wee hours of the night last night. People were curious. Killing Michael Penix. Yeah. What game were you watching? Right. The guy did not turn it over. He did not throw one interception. He did not fumble
2: the ball that I remember. Mitch is unfiltered. <laughs>
0: Episode 265 is now officially underway with my friend, a longtime friend, Dave Grosby. I always tell the story. I know I've told it too many times but I almost feel obliged to tell the story every time I see the face through Zoom this time with the Golden Gate Bridge in the background on Zoom that you didn't even know you had back there for God's sakes. Dave Grosby was one of the first people in Seattle who really said something nice to me. I remember the old Dukes. It was not the Dukes that we think of now. There was a Dukes a block or two from the old
1: Seattle Arena, right? Because they had they had two dollar stakes late happy hour. <laughs> they? they were little stakes; yeah. they weren't very big. Yeah, but they were two bucks. They were good, <laughs> and it was late happy hour.
0: Okay, I'll take it. I don't remember. I don't remember it's the crazy. two crazy stakes. I think I want to have a two dollar steak. But Graz came up to me when I first came to town, and things weren't going all that well, and put his arm on my shoulder. He was working. You were working at Cairo the first time around put your arm around me, and you said, Mitchie the Kid, you were the first to call me Mitchie the Kid. You said, keep doing what you're doing. Stay with it. It's going to work out. You're doing fine. I've always appreciated those remarks, and I've always remembered those remarks. And here he is now, 25 years later, here we are together on a Fakakta podcast, Graz. I don't, I don't know what the hell we're doing. I don't even know what a podcast is. Do you know what a podcast is, Graz?
1: I know that's what we're doing. but I <laughs> can't really wrap my arms around it completely. I'm starting to listen to them. You know, I used to think they were the enemy. You know, when I was on regular yeah. terrestrial radio, is that what yeah, we're calling it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now it's, there's a whole lot of stuff out there, man. Yeah, there is.
0: Did you know, I mean, you knew this, but I'll say this to the, to the audience. Thursday night, the Seahawks were a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog against the Dallas Cowboys. Friday night, the Washington Huskies were a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog against the Oregon Ducks. If you would have sauntered up with a vodka tonic in your hand, Graz, to a Vegas sportsbook and said, give me a parlay on both teams to win. I don't want the points. I don't want the points. I'll take them straight up. I want a parlay. Give me $100, $100 parlay. How much do you think the $100 parlay hits if both nine and a half point underdogs win the game straight up, Gross?
1: It's got to be double digits to one, doesn't it? it 11, sure. It 12 does. 15 to
0: one? $1,786. Nice. you 100. It was a seven. It would be plus $1,786 for both Now, as we know. You would have lost. You would have lost. (laughs) It didn't happen. Mostly because, and we'll start with Thursday and then graduate to Friday, but mostly because the Seahawks had a lead late in that game. My God, they led the whole second half, Graz, and here they have the ball. I'll I'll give you three three moments that you'll remember and get your thoughts. They've got the ball up 35-30. They throw a, a deep slant to Tyler Lockett, who's falling down, hits him right in the hands. There's not a defender within five yards of him, and it's going to be a first down. It's going to be in in Dallas territory. I want to say about the 20, the 25-yard yeah. line, and they're in position to score three to go up eight or score seven to go up 12, and Ty- of all people, Tyler Lockett's fallen down, and he can't come up with a catch, and then I can the, – the image of him pounding the turf – after he dropped that ball,
1: you knew that it was you knew that it was big when it happened because oh. Tyler Lockett does not drop those passes. Right, and you know Gino Smith was perfect. I mean, it, it was it was perfect. So I think that really, even though it was it was still first down and it was second down after that, it definitely took wind out of their sails. Yeah, and uh, it was to me. I looked at that as one of those things that can really really mess you up because. Tyler Lockett is, is about as sure a thing as you have, as we've watched him over the years yeah. here. I mean, just God. as sure a thing as you have. And, and it was it was tough. So, yeah, yeah that, was, that was definitely something you did not expect.
0: Right. So if he comes up with that ball, who knows what happens? He doesn't. And then they've got three fourth down plays. Did you realize, Graz? And I, I'm sure we all did, but maybe we're not thinking about it. In the last three possessions for the Seahawks in a one-score game, they went for it on fourth down all three times and missed it. The first one was a Charbonnet run. I didn't mind the run, but it was just a slow developing. The tackle got beat. Cross got beat. And the Cowboys got in there and
1: knocked Charbonneau. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I kind of like the play. I mean, uh, it, made, it made sense. And and it was a little slow developing now that I'm thinking about it because I just refreshed my memory before we went on and, and took a look at it. But, you know, that was a good call. I mean, it was a solid call there, and he he just didn't make it. And the other ones were a little bit worse, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the, the we'll skip the one that he throws deep and – and, and it doesn't work out. There's pressure. It doesn't work out. But how about the one at the end of the game, Graz? Now your game is on the line. You've got the ball. You've got to get a first down. And they run a play. They've taught, we've, It's been talked about all week. When they get to the line of scrimmage, they decide to run a protection group that does not impede Micah Parsons, maybe the best defensive player in the entire league. He comes in unblocked. And the idea is, While he comes in unblocked, we're going to swing DJ Dallas out to the right flat and toss him the ball, and he's got miles, miles. But DJ gets caught up in the traffic. He doesn't get there. Parsons is faster than you think. He does get there, and the whole thing is blown up from the beginning. What would you
1: think? It's never a good idea to leave the best defender on the team uncovered. (laughs) Never, 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 never. I mean, I understand the, the the logic behind it, but I mean, it's just you, you cannot put the Micah Parsons in a situation where he can make an individual play to, to, to mess you up. And even if he had gotten out there in time, there's no, no guarantee they would have gotten it over him. He was in there so fast. So, I mean, that's, you know, a, a, that's an unforgivable sin, in my opinion. You just you can't decide the best move here is to try and fool Micah Parsons by not having anyone... Go near him because he's gonna. I mean, he's going for quarterback's blood anyway. I mean, he's gonna. He's going like a
0: bullet. He's not going to stop. Right. You call it an unforgivable sin, and I can't agree more with you. What's unfortunate for me is there's two unforgivable sins in the same play. Okay. Uh, You talked about the first one. He's Lawrence Taylor. I mean, Lawrence Taylor is the type of player. For people that don't remember Lawrence Taylor, you would never. Have have set Lawrence Taylor free with the game on the line. It's no. preposterous. You always have to put a body on him. Right. Here's a second unforgivable sin. It's whatever it is, 4135, 4130, whatever the score is. Mm-hmm. We got the ball. We gotta we gotta get a first. This is the biggest play of the game. And I've got DK Metcalf, I've got Tyler Lockett, I've got tight ends, I've got all these guys. And my choice, and I've said this over and over this week. I really don't want this to feel like I'm taking a shot at DJ Dallas because DJ Dallas is a professional football player. He tries his hardest. He is what he is. He's, he's a spe- solid for him. He's, yeah. a, he's a special teams captain who can give you a play or two here on offense if you need him as a third string running back. Really? You're putting the game on the line on a fourth down and, you're, and your decision is I'm going to use DJ Dallas, my third string back? To get me the the biggest first down of the game? You talk about unforgivable sins. Micah Parsons is one. This is another. How could you do that? Come on, Graz. They got better than that.
1: Three yards, you don't slant it to to the big fella, the Metcalf. Yeah. I mean, one step turnaround. uh, Something. uh, Yeah. So you're right. They're both. I mean, that was an ill-conceived play for sure. Yeah. And it was too bad, like we were talking about a little bit earlier at the the beginning of the the warm-up for the show. Uh, It was too bad because they played so well. I mean they had taken the lead as you mentioned they led most of the game they had an 8 point lead in the fourth quarter right Gino was humming along the right. defense had made enough plays that that you know they looked I mean it just looked like it was good and how many times over the years Mitchy have we seen Pete Carroll's teams do exactly this you know come back when games they have to have a play well or well enough well, to win well enough to win and and you know that's what they did I thought except for you know except for the end but a lot of penalties but yeah, You know, there were a lot of penalties on both teams, but yeah, what the sort of game you expect them to win, and I think they expected to win it too.
0: You called it a shame. That's a good word. And part of the shame is, and you mentioned Geno and the pass game. For months, we've been waiting. Where's the pass game? We've been criticizing the Seahawks offense for literally since the beginning of the season. Why is Gino not better? Why is the offense not clicking? Uh, the, the run game at times has been okay, but the pass yeah. game in particular has come under the microscope. And in so doing, two guys in particular, Gino and Shane Walder in the offensive coordinator. And yet, here I am picking Adam for that fourth down concept, which is terrible. As you say, unforgivable sins in that fourth down concept. But it comes on a night. The Dallas Cowboys, you know this because you're a Cowboys fan. They went into the night with the third best defense in right. the National Football League. And at home, they have been virtually impenetrable at home on defense. And Gino and Waldron, the combination of the both of them, carved right. them up. They had 340 yards passing. He threw for three touchdowns. He ran for another. The best throw of the night didn't even count at the end of the half where he rolls to his left and he throws the deep one to Jackson Smith and Digba who fumbles the ball so he doesn't even score. That doesn't even count in his stats. On the one drive, Graz, he threw three touchdown passes on one drive. They kept on calling him back and he threw another one. I mean, this was the best moment of the year for those two guys, Shane Waldron and Geno Smith. They were using the quick passing game, which they hadn't. They were using the middle of the field where they haven't. They were using a little sleight of hand, which they haven't. This was the best night of the year for those two guys, and yet we're talking about a loss because of a couple of two, three moments offensively that they just didn't get it done, either one of those
1: guys. Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's their margin of error might be, might be a lot less for that. I mean, I think part of it with Gino, especially when the year started, is, I mean, boom, you lose your two starting tackles right out of the gate, you know, you, you, you've got a different situation when yeah. it comes to comes to the pass protection. But, you know, he, he's looked a lot better the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's looked like he did before. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just tough not to get those games when, when he's doing that. And, you know, in uh, watching him, Mitch, you know, he, he, one of the things I think I've, I've learned, I, I think I've learned from watching him is that, unfortunately, he's going to make a couple of mistakes in every game. They don't always cost you. Sometimes the you know the dropped interceptions, yep, things like that. Yeah, but yep, yep. there are going to be a couple of bad plays every game, and it's just you know it's the difference between a, a superstar quarterback and, and a good quarterback. Right. And you know it's a, getting back to the original disappointment. That's why when he has a game like you're talking about, which was just on the money, right? To not win it is just mm. is crushing. It's mm. just crushing. Mm. Now, having said all that, what you said at the beginning, they played great up until the end there. So they've got a little confidence. I would hope. Going into the next two games, which are brutal. But, um, you know, on the other hand, they might not. I mean, they might have felt like they shot their best shot and that might be it. We'll see next week. Mm.
0: You, you think he's a starting
1: quarterback next year, Gino? I'd say yet to be determined. Could be. Yeah. You know, if, if he wins a couple of games that he's not supposed to here going down the stretch, things to play the way he's played the last couple of weeks. I could see him doing something. You know, I could see them staying. But, you know, if he doesn't, that's why they built the contract the way they did. To have enough flexibility to get out of it after one year if they wanted to, and they can. And I don't think you know. I mean, he'll get a job. It's not a question of him getting a job in the league anymore. You know, from the Seahawks standpoint, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting decision for them to make.
0: Do you think that they can go where they want to go with him,
1: with the right things
0: around him, with the right offensive scheme? I mean, we saw on Thursday night there weren't many defenses in the NFL that would have stopped him Thursday night. He was great. They were great. Right. Can he take
1: them where they want to go? Without uh, Walker, too, without their best yeah, running back. Right, I mean, right. So, I mean, I think, yes. I think, you know, he, he needs – he really is a good defense, too. Use the defense stepping up, too, so you don't need to score so many points. But I'd have to give you a guarded yes on that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so that he's shown that for the most part. But, you know, I'm going to wait until the season's over to really make the decision if I'm the Seahawks. Because yeah. if, if he falls flat for the next four or five weeks, you're going to have a different feeling about him, obviously. So – We'll see how he responds, and they respond to this with uh, with two challenging weeks in particular coming up, and the playoffs still, you know, still very much a possibility for them.
0: Yeah. Hey Graz, Michigan one, Washington two, Texas three, Alabama four, Florida State out, Georgia out, Ohio State who we thought would be out out. Oh. How do you think the college football? I have a lot of uh, very strong opinions about what the college football committee did. What do you think?
1: Well, I think I'm especially glad that this is the last year of this crap. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, the, the, this is right. It's the yeah. last year of this nonsense. We go to 12 Twelve team playoff. And, and we're, then, we're, and then we're, we'll we're argue
0: over who, which who's the 13th and who's the 12. Not a lot of us
1: will, Mitchie. A lot of us won't argue about that. A lot of us won't give a rip about that. <laughs> we just won't care. Uh, but this is, you know, this is, this is, you know, they'll take care of all the power conferences. Then. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to disagree with me on this, but I, I kind of, I like the idea of saying, look, you lost a key player and you're not the same team that you were. I completely understand the argument the other way, which is, you know, 12-0, 13-0. You're in the playoffs if you do that. It doesn't matter how you do it. It matters that you do it. So, I mean, I can see that. And then the, the third line to it, too, is, is how you're not going to have the SEC champion in there, which is the way that for it's the spot that Florida State should have taken. hmm I think, because Texas Texas goes in because they beat Alabama. Right. I mean, if it's between those two, uh-huh. then they go in. Uh-huh. So to have Alabama in there, to have the SEC in there, Florida State has to pay. 13-0 season. People will be screaming to end this system, but it's already ending. So, I mean, Florida State can pull their hair out, but, you know, it's not going to be like this anymore. A good reason why it's not like it to be like this anymore, even though this creates a lot of debate. I mean, it has for the last couple of years. It feel like teams are getting screwed, and, and Florida State definitely got screwed.
0: Well, you think that Florida State – but you don't think Florida State belonged. I just heard you say you don't think I they're think the same – you know.
1: I, I can understand the saying, look, you know, you're know, you down to maybe your third-string quarterback. Yeah. You're not the same team, and we yeah. got to judge it by who's playing well now. That's definitely a matter of opinion.
0: Here's where I am, Graz. I think that it became a convenient explanation for the mm. committee. And no, I'll go back point. to I'll go back to what you said midway through your spiel just a moment ago. You said they have to have the SEC champion in. Well, I believe in the bottom of my heart that that's what that committee decided. We have to put Alabama in the field, and as you said properly, we cannot put Alabama in the field without putting Texas in the field. It's just impossible. We can't do that. Right. So if we want to put Alabama in, and we're putting the SEC champ in, no matter what. We're putting Texas in with them because they beat them. So well, somebody, somebody's got to pay for that. There's got to be a sacrificial lamb for that, and that's Florida State. And and before you, you, you jump in, I'll just ask this question. I'd love to know the answer. Nobody knows the answer except for the committee. But let's say Jordan Travis, the star quarterback of Florida State, mm-hmm. didn't get hurt. And let's assume Florida State did run the table, but instead, of, it. But instead of winning the last two games – unimpressively they won by blowouts Florida State's 13-0 with all the blowouts that you want I still think they're going to try to find out how they get in Alabama in the field and if you tell me Graz in that scenario, first of all Florida State you would think at that point is absolutely guaranteed a spot in that scenario yep. if yep. you're going to look into that zoom camera and tell me that in that scenario the committee would have left the SEC champion out I don't believe you I don't believe you. I think they would have found a way to put Alabama in in any scenario, including Florida State. So what would they have done? Knock Texas out and say, yes. oh, that was so long ago that these two teams are different teams now. Alabama's a different team now than they were when they lost to Texas.
1: As specious as that argument is, <laughs> I think that's exactly what they say. I, I think, you know, and it, it, it had to do with the two teams that were playing in the SEC championship. If, if Georgia was a one-loss team, mm-hmm. But, you know, Georgia had won 29 straight games. So you got the best win of the college football season belongs to Alabama, beating a, the undefeated two-time defending champions. So that's another way that they might argue them in. Bottom line is, is they're going to have the SEC champ in there because of what the SEC, right or wrong, because of what they've done for the last 10 or 15 years, which is the everyone, every one of them have been in the title game every one of those years. So when you got an 11-1 Alabama team beating a 12-0 Georgia team, Alabama going to get in. If it was, excuse me, if the situation was reversed and it was Georgia beating Alabama, Georgia's getting in. If it was a two-loss team who was going to get in, two-loss team, no, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't All figure right. out a way. Right. But in this scenario, they're going to. It's why it's great that this is going away, and you have a 12-team playoff next year. I won't have to worry about this crap because I Florida State is it's just brutal. It's just brutal for them. Thirteen and zero and not going. Not going.
0: And I think it's semi brutal. Now, people would argue, hey, we don't want to play Alabama, Mitch. We'd rather play Texas. Mitch, don't complain about the Rose Bowl. We We want to play Texas in the Sugar Bowl rather than Alabama in the Rose Bowl. I would have liked to have seen Washington in the Rose Bowl Shame on anybody who says that Washington didn't deserve to play in the Rose Bowl. They went undefeated. They beat Oregon twice. They went as a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog in the Pac-12 championship game. And I've been saying it for weeks. I'll say it again to you. You compare the resumes with Michigan and Washington. Washington has a better resume than Michigan. Michigan's won, and they get to choose. And they say, oh, we don't want to play Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Screw that. We're not letting Alabama play us in the Sugar Bowl. We'll go out to the Rose Bowl and let all the Tuscaloosa people have to go out to the Rose Bowl. We ain't playing them in the Sugar Bowl. And that puts Washington into the Sugar Bowl against Texas Gras.
1: College football, we've watched them make mistake after mistake after mistake, stumbling around like like the Keystone Cops for another really (laughs) old reference out there. But, you know, it's the end of the Pac-12 as a conference. And here you got a chance to have your last champion Play in the greatest venue that you have on the on the West Coast. And you don't, and, and you could even, well, they're not going to pair them up with Michigan, but Alabama would be fine. Texas would have been fine. Wouldn't have made any difference. And you don't do it. Part of it, I understand, is that as the top seed, you know, you, you're not going to be put, they don't want to put you in a situation where you, you're not, I mean, like if Michigan was playing Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, it's going to be all Alabama fans. Right, right, right. But Texas is pretty close to, to the Sugar Bowl, too. So they got a pretty significant advantage against Washington fans. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think that's that's really what came down and, and stopped it from happening. But no, against Michigan, I mean, a Big Ten, Pac-12 game like that would have been just fantastic. You might still get it. You might just still get it in Houston. We'll yeah, get but to, then it's that, yeah, yeah. between two Big Ten teams.
0: Yeah. Here's a, he, but here's an interesting thing. What year was it that Browning took them? Took Washington to the uh, final 16 four. 16 or Peter. 17. 16 or like 17. They, they played Alabama. They were big underdogs. Alabama w- was a juggernaut. And I think mm-hmm. Washington kind of played them close. Played them close. Made a competitive game out of it. But Alabama won. Here's the difference. And, and maybe you would say, Mitch, Mitch, you're just biased by recency. You're you're involved in it now. So you're more excited now than you were then. And that's removed. But I don't think it is. Okay, I feel fundamentally different. I feel like I look at these four teams and I've seen them all play many, many times. I don't think there's a juggernaut in the bunch. I don't think mm-hmm. there's one that really stands out to me. This is, the to me, the closest from one to four. Whoever the Let's put it this way. Whoever you think Graz is the best team of the four and whoever Graz you think is the fourth of the four, I think right. they are very, very close and on a neutral field. It's a fifty, almost a fifty-fifty toss up between whoever you think is best and whoever you think is worse. So I feel differently than the 16-17 thing, because I think Washington has a great chance. They're gonna play a Texas team they beat a year ago. Yeah, and, Washington, and Washington and Washington returns everybody that they had from last year's team for all intents and purposes. They've got a great chance to win two games and be the national champs.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know just going along with what you're saying, I don't think I'd be surprised if any one of those four teams wins. None. I mean, it's not going to be a huge upset if Michigan does it. It's not going to be a huge upset if, if um, Alabama does it or Washington does it. You're right. I mean, it's it's going to be fun to watch. It always is when you get past all the. The the hemming and hawing and screaming and yelling and yeah. stamping your feet and everything. Then you get yeah. down to playing and yeah. and it looks good and and th- this this one should be. You're right. There, there. Washington is as good as any team in the country. Washington has got. We talked about a little bit at the beginning. I think they've got an X factor working for them. None of these other teams have it. It really showed up in that Oregon game when they were close in the fourth quarter. Who looked relaxed and comfortable? Who did not? And Washington looked relaxed and comfortable. They 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 are unflappable this year. They've got the the key guys playing playing. Just at their very best. Even Penix, not not so great. Maybe the last couple of weeks. How did he look in that fourth quarter against Oregon? I mean, it was just spectacular. They 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 utterly believe in what they're doing. And you know, Kalen DeBoer, by the way, Mitch. You know what his record is? It's one hundred two and eleven. One hundred two wins, eleven losses. <laughs> sounds like I mean, that that's... sounds like your record, garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, this guy is this guy is something special as a coach. Yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. next thing I'm doing if I'm watching it is, is saying how much and for how long. Just give us a number.
0: I want to expand on that in our last segment. Okay. I want to expand. I'm going to start our other stuff segment with what you just said about how much for how long and Kalen DeBoer, because I'm really interested to see what's going to happen next year when he loses Michael Penix mm. and he loses Roma Dunze and he loses other members of that offense and probably loses Ryan Grubb, as offensive coordinator, to some other greener pasture. I am really, and I'm not asking you this because I feel like there's going to be this precipitous fall. I'm just curious. I'm very mm-hmm. interested to see who's coming. Because I think somebody's coming. If you ask me who the next quarterback, the next starting quarterback, opening day next year is for Washington, a lot of people would say Dylan Morris. I would say that Someone guy is-, is not on the team right now. And there are a ton of these great players, quarterback scraws that have already entered the portal So I want to talk to you. I'm going to start off the other stuff segment with that very topic with the Graz on episode 265. It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross
3: Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? dun dun ta-da. dun <laughs> dun <ta-da. laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. You're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah, still a good
0: time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae, tell our listeners.
3: Yeah, so they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary residence as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to one and a half million dollars now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity.
0: And for all of us who need some help, whether we're buying or selling or refinancing. We're gonna call the Woodenville
3: Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425-890-2957.
0: And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without him? Neuheisel is back, and so is Taco Time's corn chowder. Grabbed a couple of bowls Uh, for my son uh, and me uh, uh, uh. before the Pac-12 title game on Friday. Limited time only at all Taco Time Northwest locations. All right. Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr. has made his way back to New York from Atlanta, the site of the Southeastern Conference title game. We've got four teams, like it or not, Michigan 1, 2 Washington, 3 Texas, 4 Alabama. Everybody who's listened to this podcast knows exactly how I feel about this. You don't know yet. You will find out. So let's just throw the ball to you, Neuheisel. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Was it fair? Was it unfair? Should Florida State be in there? Should Florida State not
4: be in there? Talk to us, please. I think it's the right answer. I feel horribly for the Florida State contingent. I watched Mike Norvell as he sat there with his team, watching the big screen and number of Seminoles. You know, have you heard the gasp of just, horror and then a bunch of Seminoles leaving and as he took his time and then realized I got to get my team back together you know um, that was hard because you can't do better than 13 and 0 they give you a schedule and you sit there and you say and you work your tail off every day and you you have your guys believe that something at the end the rainbow is going to be really worth it. And you go 13-0, and 0, you're supposed to have achieved what you set out to do because you can't do better than that. And yet, at day's end, without Jordan Travis, based on what the committee was charged with, which is to pick the best four teams at this point in the season, mm. they're not one of the best four teams. Hold on a second.
0: Are they charged to pick the best four teams at the end of the season? Or are they charged to pick the four most deserving teams at the end of the season the because whole, because if you tell me it's only the four best teams that i will tell you there have been Georgia over the years i will tell you over the years there are three lost teams that are playing better at the end of the year than a lot of teams so there's got to be a deserving element to this there okay. is a deserving
4: element okay. and that's why Georgia's is not in that's why ohio state's not in uh there would be arguments that uh, those two teams might be better than some of the teams that are in but That being said, the way Alabama's playing, the way they won on Saturday and the way they battled the number one team in the nation in what could only be called a prize fight was deserving of a spot in the playoffs. Mm. Texas gets the in because they were brave enough to put Alabama on the non-conference schedule. Mm -hmm. Without the Alabama win, Texas is not in. Florida State's in. The Alabama win vaults Texas into the position that they find themselves. I get it. So... The Jordan Travis injury gives the committee a convenient way uh, to do what they did. Uh, and I'm using that term. Uh, I've used it all. You just used the term I've
0: been using the entire podcast. It's this, convenient. This, this dropped in their laps. To me, yeah, let, let me, g- let, me let me give you my opinion. It's a little bit stronger than yours, and you may disagree with it. And I would wholeheartedly expect that you would uh, share your disagreement, if you do, with our audience. I have been saying all along the following. There was no way this committee was not going to put the Southeastern champion, Southeastern Conference champion, the winner of that football game, whether it was a prize fight or not, there was no way they were not going to include the winner of that game in this Final Four. And so they had a convenient way out. I've used the same word as you did. And the convenient way out was, hey, Florida State quote, is not the same team now that it was when uh, the quarterback was playing.
4: Okay, fine. Give me your reason for the Southeastern Conference to wield that kind of power.
0: I just think that there's a, a, a relationship between the Southeastern Con- I don't. You know the ins and outs better than me. I just know there's a, an enormous amount of pressure for the committee to have the Southeastern Conference champion represented in the final, final four. Of college. The, play
4: Hamilton, the play Hamilton has a song that says in the room where it was decided, right? Or in some something along those lines. Yeah. I was in the room, right? Where all this was hatched out about our democracy and so forth. I was in the room with Larry Scott when the college football playoff was hatched. I was in the room when Larry Scott said the best four teams need to all be conference champions. And the pushback from the SEC by Mike's Slive was no, and if you do it that way, we're not in, we're taking our ball and we're going home. That was back in 2014, Mike's gone now and he was a great leader and a really nice man, but he was wielding a big stick the, with the way the SEC had played so well in the uh, that BCS era. They'd won seven straight until Auburn, excuse me, until Auburn lost to Florida State in 2013. I have to believe that those in that room we're sitting there going, if we don't put the SEC champion in, never discussed, I don't believe there would have been one word uttered, but in the back of the, everybody's mind, yes. the SEC could dismantle the entire CFP. You're agreeing with me. They I'm putting, agreeing with you. Okay, all right, So then right. I'm agreeing my, with you.
0: And they had a convenient way out because of the yes. Jordan Travis. And this is what I've been saying the whole podcast are asking, and I'll ask you the question. Let's play hypothetical. Of course, they, if I were on the ESPN show and I had asked this question to the chairman when they uh, interviewed him.
4: If, if Florida State won that game 40-6 to six yes. and Jordan Travis threw three touchdown passes. Right
0: now, forget, forget Jordan Travis. Let's say the backup comes in two or three games ago and they wiped the table with Florida and they wiped the table with Louisville without Jordan Travis, but they win going away. Going away. They win by four touchdowns both games. You look me in the eye Florida State would have been in, and they would have
4: found a way to maybe say Texas might yeah, not be see in. see
0: that? And that's what I'm saying. Then they would have said Alabama is not the same team as they were when they lost
4: to Texas I agree. on their home I, floor. You, I agree. Okay. I go back and say how much it pained me to watch Mike Norvell because you can't do better than that. Listen, I was in a similar circumstance back in 2000 when the BCS, right? Miami was sitting there complaining about Florida State. How can Florida State get to play Oklahoma mm-hmm. in the national championship? We beat Florida State, and I'm sitting there, hey, 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 hey. Washington beat Miami. We're all sitting here with one loss. What are you saying? You get to jump the shark, and we don't. What I mean, what does it makes no sense. And yet, rather than crow, I was very happy cuz we were going to the Rose Bowl. When the Rose Bowl really was the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm not going to make any more noise cuz I'm going where I want to go. Okay. The granddaddy. But we
0: agree that was somewhat of a disingenuous remark in terms of that's why Alabama, Alabama was going to be in no matter what. The SEC champion was going to be in. Was okay. probably uh, going to be let in. Let me tell you my other problem. And I think I've hinted at this before with you over the last couple of weeks. The audience knows how I feel about Michigan and Washington. I I have dug really deep. I I can show you. Washington should be one. I can show you my spreadsheet. Yeah. Okay. There is only one metric that Michigan has had an upper hand on Washington, and that's margin of victory. Washington has more quality wins. They have better wins. Their conference is actually rated higher than the Big Ten. Everything about Washington's resume, including two wins against Oregon, Michigan's best win is at home against Ohio State. Washington beat Oregon both at home and on a neutral on a neutral field. Everything about the two resumes says Washington is more impressive than Michigan, except for the fact that while Michigan was beating Rutgers, and Maryland and Purdue and Minnesota by four touchdowns. Washington was finding ways to beat Oregon State, Utah, and USC. That's
4: the only and, Arizo- that, and Arizona and, and Arizona and, and Arizona. And that's the only difference for people them. People have conveniently forgotten how good the Pac-12 is at the beginning of the season. It's like amnesia took over. Well, there's a there's there's power rankings. It's got to be in the
0: room where the Pac-12 is ranked behind the SEC and in front of the Big 10 the Pac 12 right. okay and every metric it is so what the what the committee is telling me is margin of victory man margin of victory what ends up happening is and now washington fans will yell at me Mitch don't say this too loud because we want to play texas we don't want to play alabama but i'm going to say it the fact that washington could go 13 and 0 in the final Pac 12 season and beat oregon twice and not be awarded a spot in the Rose Bowl in the final year of the Pac-12 is the most laughable thing. How could anybody look anybody with a straight face and say, we are not in the final year of the Pac-12 going to take an undefeated, untied Washington and give them a berth in the Rose Bowl and make them go to the Sugar Bowl?
4: Let's have the same conversation we just had about the SEC. Now we're doing it with the Big Ten. We are in the era of the Super Two. Those two conferences are television bonanzas. Those two conferences are going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to who their champion is. And in this case, Michigan having beaten Ohio State, despite all the absolute wild stories away from the field over I the course even, of the year. And, Jim, I didn't, and by Jim the way, Harbaugh, I didn't even Jim, mention
0: any of those. You notice I didn't, I I, I didn't mention I any of those.
4: I mean, it's Jim about, Harbaugh yeah. coached only seven games right. of the 13. That's right. I mean, the bottom line is this is this is a, a game where those two conferences are getting the edge.
0: And so is that going to be the case when we go to 12 and we're arguing over mid-tier Big Ten teams versus mid-tier other teams? Are we going to you 100%. Uh, okay. Just so you, you're, already getting me, you're already getting
4: me warned. You've already warned me I should get myself ready. The, the, each this. of those conferences will have at least three and maybe four. Okay. But if you're looking at that as a alternative as opposed to them taking their ball and going and creating their own league, you got it. This is the better, this is the better alternative.
0: All right. So now let me put all the bitching and moaning aside. I've done it all. I've told you (laughs) that I think, I've told you that I think Washington deserves to be, you're not alone. I I told you, I think Florida state should be in the field. They did what they had to do. Okay. I've bitched. I've moaned. I'll put it aside and talk about what you talked about at the beginning, which is these four teams that are in it. And I don't ever remember, and you can correct me, I don't ever remember a situation that was as even as these four teams are. You can throw a blanket. Put your hand over records for a second and just say, all right, I don't even – you drop somebody in from uh, outer space who doesn't know the records and they just watch the teams play – they would have no idea whether to put Alabama one, Washington one, Michigan one, Texas one. You could put one versus four, and it would be a short point spread. You could put two versus three, two versus four, three versus. It's unbelievable. Put them in a hat like Yahtzee. Put them in the uh, in the cup and roll the dice, and whatever comes out comes out.
4: Every one of these teams is capable of winning the championship. There's no surprise. That's never been the case going in. Obviously, when you're one of four teams that get to the final uh, chapter of a college football season, you've done something over the course of the season that rates merits your being in it. But in terms of, you mentioned four and a half was the line Texas over Washington. What is the Michigan Alabama line? I think it's one and a half. <laughs> Case, closed. Case closed. I mean, these these uh, are coin flip uh, games. Yeah, now you coin ju- flip games. You just said that any any one of them can win it. Yes. I, I think the
0: better way for me to put it is, it seems like every year there's one team that everyone thinks is better than everybody else. And That's it's right. usually that, the maybe, S- that may,
4: Yeah, and there, there's no one that falls into that category. No. Everybody in this field is vulnerable. So if I said to you,
0: who would surprise you most if they were, quote, Cutting down the nets at the
4: end of the of the tournament, you would have a hard time. How do you? I think the team that will surprise me most if they're doing that is Michigan. And they're the number
1: one. And they're the seed. one seed. And they're the, they're the one, one seed.
4: seed. They're the least explosive team. They do not have the X factor of putting incredible. forty and fifty incredible on a board. Now they have because they bludgeon you, but these teams are not bludgeonable. They're not going to bludgeon these teams. I mean, Michigan averaged less than a two yards a carry against Iowa. Less than two yards a carry. Michigan averaged less than five yards a pass attempt. They beat them 26-6, to six, but Iowa played defense. Iowa just... Was so anemic. He realized Iowa, the drive for 325 was the quest for Brian Ferrance to average 25 points a game. That was in the contract. They realized it wasn't going to happen. They made, they cut the cord early in the season (laughs) and said, you know what? We're going to let him, you know, get to the finish line. Going into the Michigan game, there was still hope, Mitch. He only needed to score 109 points (laughs) in the, in the, The Big Ten championship game to get to 325. They ended up 109 points short. (laughs) Have you ever, have, have you ever, have you ever seen in the history of gambling a line that said the halftime over under for Iowa was one half point. And if you took the under, you're a winner today.
5: Oh gosh. One half point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? one
4: half of a point. Oh. You can't make that up. Oh. That is
6: incredible.
0: We have time to look at these two games in a couple weeks. You'll come back on our show and we'll really take a, look forward a, d- to it. a deep dive into uh, these uh, two games, very evenly matched, hard to pick a winner out of the four. You say Michigan would surprise you most, which pretty much tells the story, which is you just picked the number one team. As the least likely to win I the, don't, uh, I
4: would, I, I would bet, I would, bet, <laughs> I would take the field over them, real thousand ways, yeah, uh, I would.
0: Okay, okay. So that brings us to, and it's, it's, it's history now because so much has happened since. But I, I can't go on without at least getting a comment or two. How'd you like that Pac-12 championship game? I said to, I said to my partner. On the, on the podcast, it just feels like these two teams could play 100 times as currently <laughs> constituted, and we'd have a three-point high-scoring game one way or the other in 99 out of the 100 games. It, it's just a perfect matchup.
4: It was a bittersweet evening for me because it was wonderful to see that kind of contest be the last contest, a stadium full, Uh, you know, the ESPN A team calling the game. It was the way the Pac-12 should go out if we have to have it go out. I'm still very bitter that it's out. uh, And I blame greed for that. But uh, at the end of the day, it was a really, really great win for Washington. And to hold Oregon to 124 yards rushing after the previous two games, 300 plus and 200 plus. To hold them to 124 was yeoman work by that defense. And uh they're to all be congratulated. Obviously, Jalen McMillan being back in is a huge boon. That's the matchup issue. They cannot stop Odunze, McMillan, and Polk. The three of them combined for 290 yards of receiving. Penix is brilliant. It was really fun to watch and Way to go, Kalen DeBoer and staff. Did the kid from LSU win the Heisman on Friday night? I think so. If We could have had three more touchdown passes, you know, instead of (laughs) handing it off and those things. We could have just called those touchdown passes. Uh, But uh, you know what? Michael Penix will be fine. He's going to get to go to New York. It will be a terrific tribute to a fantastic couple of years there in Montlake. Who will finish second, Knicks or Penix? That's a great question.
1: I, I, I'm gonna. I'll, I'm
0: I'll, gonna I'll, guess. I'm gonna guess Knicks. I'll let you because of the the famed CBS pregame or preseason show, I'll let you say yours Quinn Ewers. is going to finish second. Is he going to finish no, second? No, Quinn Ewers
4: ah. is not going to finish second. Okay. But did you see he threw for 450 yeah. <laughs> in the Big 12 against, championship against you, Against you I almost me. was going to make him my dude doing some work guy, this, this you, taco you could, time you, doing you, some work guy, you, because you, he you. did throw for 450, but then you would have fired back No, that, you know, my guy is going to New York and your guy <laughs> no, isn't, no, no, and no, no, no. I decided what against
0: I, it. No, what I would have said is he could have thrown – Uh, he was playing a team it was like playing you me and my sons in flag football that's (laughs) who he was playing that's that's who he threw
4: unfortunately oklahoma state and louisville did not look the part over the weekend
0: ladies and gentlemen we are at the the point of the show that he just referred to taco time northwest and i love to pay homage to those that love doing some work And for a limited time, we've got a bowl of the best corn chowder in the Northwest to award to someone in the college football world. Now, I typically ask you to kick or receive. I don't know why when I wrote my notes for you, I reminded myself how the game has changed. Years ago on the KJM Morning Show, I used to have a regular guest who coached the Seattle Seahawks named Mike Holmgren. Oh, and, of course. And, and I he, listened to that segment and he, often. And, and he and I used to go back and forth and joke and laugh. And he got such a kick out of the fact that every time he came on, I tried to convince him that when you win the toss, you should kick, you should defer and take. The, and he laughed like hell. He thought that was the funniest thing because nobody in those days nobody did that nobody did it and i would give him the whole rundown you want you want to get your defense on the field first especially the architect of the middle eight coach you don't understand and he'd laugh i'd say coach you don't understand the 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 seattle crowd is is revved up at the beginning you want your defense on the field and the seattle crowd when they go at halftime to get their refreshments they're late getting back That's when you want your offense on the field. You don't want the ball first. And he would say, Mitchie, you don't understand. I'm an offensive guy. I want the ball, and I want to score. And now, I have to ask you this. You could watch college football and pro football games
4: from
1: here.
0: Nobody takes the ball ever. No matter what kind of team you have, nobody takes the ball. What happened?
4: It, it happens, but it's rare. I'll give you rare. I'm not uh, going to go past rare. I, Sometimes I, you need to you do it as a statement to your team. We're going to go out and set the tempo. Sometimes you just do it. Even though the middle eight has become such a analytic deal that people now are all into the deferral. What's the middle eight? Tell me what the middle eight is. The last four minutes of the first half oh, yeah, and the first yeah, four minutes yeah. of the second half. Yeah. And there's statistical analysis that says if you win the points total in those eight minutes, you're statistically going to win all these games. So it's like 70%. Okay. If you win that number. It's, so the numbers, are the, every are all the coaches, you'll hear the middle eight. We're trying to win the middle eight. It's a term of art. It's nonsense. It's it's Arnie uh, analytics back at work again.
0: Well, let me tell you about the analytics. We had two huge games that the people in the Northwest cared about this past week. On Thursday night, the Seahawks played the Cowboys. And the Seahawks scored seven at the, be- at the end of the second quarter and seven when they got the ball at the beginning of the third quarter and lost. And then the next night, Oregon scored seven at the end of the half and seven to start off the third quarter. And guess and what they did? Turn out for them. <laughs> so the 70%, we have the 30% covered here in the Pacific. Here in the great Northwest. In the, in the great Perfect. Northwest. Who are you taking? Well, I, you, I heard you want to you kick, kick a receive? No, I'm going to let you go. No, I go want. you not I, taking I was, my guy. You
4: know, you're not taking my guy. I'm confident you're not really, taking my guy. Really. I'm giving it to you. Yeah. I think I am taking your guy. I don't think so.
0: Because I was prepared that you were gonna take my guy. If you went first, you're gonna take my guy. So I got myself a little a little buffer in case you did so. But all right, you want me to go first? Yeah. The Liberty Flames. You got me. <laughs> I told you. So I want you Cadence. to go So I want you to go first. You go first.
4: The quarterback for okay. the Liberty Flames, yes. Jamie Chadwell, who had been dynamic and terrific as the head coach of the uh Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, mm-hmm. where it was real on the teal. Got a big job last year when Hugh Freeze took the Auburn job. Mm-hmm. Liberty came open. and Liberty, uh, for the group of five, has great resources and and paid him handsomely to come and be the Liberty Flame head coach. His quarterback is a dual-threat kid by the name of Caden Salter. Caden Salter put on a show on Saturday. Yeah, He was uh, fantastic. Over 300 yards passing, I think 324. 160-plus rushing on 12 carries. I mean, it was a Lamar Jackson type of performance. And when you score 49 points and your quarterback's putting up those kind of numbers against a very resilient New Mexico State team who's coached by Jerry Kill, and you know what they say about Jerry Kill, don't you, Mitch? You can't kill, kill. kill. Yeah, That's, So they've, they found a way to uh, get to un, unbeaten, and Liberty will now play Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. The Liberty New Flames. Six. The Liberty Flames. And Jerry Year's Falwell Six. Jr., who said his daddy would be so proud about this, is going to be the happiest man in college football as he heads to Glendale, Arizona, for the Fiesta Bowl.
0: No, he's not going to be the happiest guy in college football. Jamie Chadwell is because you're going to send him a vat, a big vat of corn chowder from Taco of Taco time. time corn chowder. And so of let me tell you the kind, let me tell you the kind of coaching I do on this show. All I right. I knew exactly as I where just proved where he was going. So I got myself ready. And what I'm gonna say after you say that, hey, send a, vat a corn chowder You're to Jamie Chadwell. You're going no. to
4: Vondre Sweat, aren't you? No, no I am better.
0: <laughs> i I got a bet okay. I got a better one. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Okay. You're gonna send the corn chowder to Jamie Chadwell and his quarterback, and I'm gonna yell, no, Jamie and your quarterback, before you eat that corn chowder. You should send it to Rhett Lashley
4: at SMU. That's a good one. That's a good one. Excellent.
0: (laughs) And why should they send the corn chowder instead of eating it to their buddy, Rhett
4: Lashley at SMU? Because they knocked off Tulane and gave way for that opportunity to the group, to the New Year's Day six. There you go. And with a backup quarterback. With a backup quarterback. That's right.
0: They knocked the green wave
4: from their second
0: consecutive New Year's Day bowl. So I had the whole thing planned out. You were gonna receive, you were gonna take <laughs> Jamie Chadwell in his corner. There's <laughs>
4: no way Mitch is taking Caden Salter. There's no way. <laughs> I was taking Jamie Chadwell, that's
0: for sure. And so you well, take him, and I say, I see your Jamie Chadwell, and I raise you one Rhett Lashley, who Jamie Chadwell, if he were on the phone with us today, would
4: say, Yes, guys, we're sending the corn chowder. SMU's I just want you way. to know, yeah, my son Jack Neuheisel, who's an alum, a proud alum I of know. SMU, yep. is disappointed the committee didn't vault SMU over SMU over. Some thought over. that they might, right? Wasn't there yeah. uh, there, some- there was there was some hope, and uh, because Jack, who lives also in Arizona, would have had all of his old buddies in town for that uh, big big soiree called the Fiesta Bowl.
0: You end the season on Rick's picks with six in a row. Is that good? That's Mitch? pretty good. Is that good. You took you <laughs> said let's take the huskies again. You took them a couple of times down the stretch. 6 in a row. You went from two games under 500 to four games over 500. I'm going to assume that you're not going to pick the Army Navy
4: game. Well, why wouldn't we? <laughs> What's the over/under in the Army I, Navy I game? have
0: no idea. I got no. I got no information for you.
4: I can't tell you who's favorite. I will tell you regardless of what it is. We're taking the under. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: if it's an Iowa under a uh, uh, half a point in the first half? Okay, so, it'll be in the low thirties. So we're giving you we're giving you a week, maybe two off. I got to look at the bowl schedule, and then you're going to come back. And you're Fair going to uh, share some thoughts on the big bowl game. Is there a? By the way, is there a non? I, I got to tell you, I was a little disappointed. This this much, I said to the boys. We were talking while while they were uh, releasing all these bowl games throughout the day, sure. and I said to them, I I would have figured that I'd get Oregon versus Georgia. I was hoping for Oregon or somewhere. I don't know Fiesta Bowl somewhere. Oregon, they Oregon, and instead they have all these teams that I wanted to see play each other. Yeah, I, yeah. Know, I know that Florida State's playing, I think, Georgia. But most of the teams that I wanted to see play each other are all playing somebody else.
4: I have major concern about that Georgia-Florida State game that we're going to see ample opt-outs. Oh, sure. Ample sure opt-outs, yeah.
0: How about the fact uh, that Bo Nix has already said, I'm playing. Good for him. I'm playing against Liberty. I want to yeah. play one more time for Oregon at least, and I'm playing against Liberty. How about that? Mitch.
4: I, I think of myself in that situation, if I would have said, I don't want to play, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah, you've told I couldn't me that before. in a million years yeah. imagining that I don't want to play one more time with my guys. Yeah, yeah. You've told me right? that
0: before. It's crazy.
4: There's no way you you would have had to jail me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you would have had to lock me away. Well, you were sick one year, weren't you? <laughs> I th- threw up six times before that Rose Bowl. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but something about that crowd got me
0: going again yeah, it sure so did anyway. sure did ladies and gentlemen Rick Neuheisel each and every week we'll give him a week or two off and he'll come back and talk about the big college football games including of course the games that we all care about which now involve our beloved Washington Huskies thank you Rick for a great year and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks
4: look forward to it Mitch thanks buddy
0: Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner, John Waterstrat. How are you, John?
7: Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full
0: swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question. How do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John?
7: It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do Mm -hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you, too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and We'll get that taken care of for you.
0: Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one?
7: To be honest, yes. I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available.
0: So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John.
7: Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. I uh, love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. you be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. can be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John
0: Waterstrat Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific bar. Partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com?
2: Unfiltered.
0: Episode 265 continues. You talk about the cat who ate the canary, ladies and gentlemen. He is the former Seattle Times scribe. He is the former 710 ESPN megastar talk show host. He is the creator of the dang apostrophe, but most importantly for today, for this show, he is a highfalutin graduate of the University of Washington, class of what? 1997. God, you're young. No wonder you look so young on my Zoom (laughs) You are young. I forgot how much younger
8: than me you are. Oh, my God, you're much younger than me. I don't think that much younger. Also, you're being very liberal with the term star. In fact, we might in similar to grade inflation, you might be devaluing, (laughs) devaluing the very notion of that. But I will say that I do have some Cheshire cat, some can't wipe the smile off of my face, the sort of person who says i don't have kids but if i did have kids the happiness i felt on friday night would rank right up there with their hypothetical birth <laughs> yeah oh my yeah, god yeah this is this is it's it's been a while since i've felt this supremely oh, pleased
0: <laughs> this is unbelievable
8: you got you got your sweep of the hated
0: oregon oh you oh. won You won as a nine and a half point dog, which now makes it even better because it's much better to win as a nine and a half point dog than a nine and a half point favorite. There's no question about that. You got your Pac-12 title, the last of its kind. You got your college football playoff berth. You got your rematch with Sark. Of a year ago. I mean, the the only thing you didn't get, and you're talking to a a long lost cousin of Mr. Playoffs, and I got plenty to say if anybody wants to hear it about this. The only thing you didn't get is what you should have gotten, which is a spot in the Rose Bowl, as uh, I believe the number one seed when you look at resumes over Michigan, but the college football committee at last check doesn't have a guy named Levy with a big schnoz hanging out in the, uh,
8: wherever they are, in that hotel room. They should. They should. I have have a feeling if they had a guy named Levy there, Florida State's in that playoff, and Alabama is, is not. This
0: is such a joke. They speak out of both sides of their mouth. I think the chairman said on Sunday, you see, Florida State isn't the same team as they were earlier on in the year. And what I would say to him, and he would answer, if I was on ESPN, that show, that cockamamie show, where they interview the chairman and they throw him softball questions, if I were in the chair of whoever, Reese Davis, whoever it is, I would have said, Mr. Chairman, had Jordan Travis played the whole year and Florida State won the last two games by three touchdowns, Florida State, you're saying, would have been in the tournament. Who would have been out, Mr. Chairman? Who would have been out? Because and the reason I say that is because I sit here, as I sit here before you, there's just no question in my mind. There would be no scenario where they wouldn't take the SEC champ. None. Zero. I don't care if Jordan Travis was the Heisman winner and they won the last two games by 50. They would figure out a way to talk us into why Alabama needs to be in the field. Either they would have excluded Florida State still, or mm-hmm. they would have excluded Texas, and Texas went to Alabama. This is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> what they did was they had to get Alabama in and to put Alabama in, they had to put Texas in, so it was a just an easy explanation This little little Florida State didn't play the way they did earlier in the year was just a very easy way out for them. Well, it wasn't really easy, but it was a way out for them. That's That's my take on it. There was no way the SEC champion in that game was not playing in the Final Four.
8: As you were explaining the rationale, which I believe 100%, and I'll go a step further. If Georgia wins, Florida State's in the playoff. If Georgia wins texas right gets edged out and they say tough luck the the reason that florida state is out is because Texas they were Alabama. not going to have a tournament without the SEC champ. right? And, and to get the to SEC That's champ in, you, ha- you have to put Texas in. And as you say that... It has I'm nothing reminded-
0: to do with Jordan Travis or how Florida State looked the last two games. They were undefeated. This has nothing... That is such bullshit. Oh, my God. It's coming out the guy's ears. It's bullshit. This is exactly what you just said. We have to put in Alabama. And to put in Alabama, we have to put in Texas.
8: So... To put in sorry, Alabama. Sorry, Florida State.
0: Sorry, Florida
8: State. That, that's what this is. As it goes through that, do you remember the story about the woman who swallowed the fly? And then she swallowed the spider to catch the fly. And then she swallowed the cat to catch the spider to catch the no, fly. I remember, and I don't know so, why oh, oh, she yeah. swallowed the fly. Yeah. To put Alabama in, you had to put Texas in. To put Texas in, you had to bump Florida stayed out. I don't know why they were insistent upon putting Alabama, but. Anyway, um, and I'll go one step
0: further with you. I I know you know this because you've you've responded to my tweets. I really look hard into this. I, I can tell you, I can show you my spreadsheet of Michigan versus Washington. There is only one, there's only one metric that Michigan is favorable to Washington, and that's margin of victory. Michigan blew out all their patsies. And Washington, as we all know, the last three or four weeks of the regular season, one barely scraped by. Every other metric, including, by the way, the Pac-12's power rating versus the Big Ten's power rating. Every other metric, better wins, more quality wins, the, the lesser opponents on their schedule were better than the lesser opponents on Michigan. Every other metric, Washington has a better resume than Michigan. They put Michigan number one. I don't feel like they care that much about margin of victory, so I'm not convinced it was margin of victory. Otherwise, I can't explain. There is no way Michigan's portfolio is better than Washington. And, and it's a big deal because if Washington's number one, Washington plays in the Rose Bowl. Now they play, they play Alabama. Who would you rather play, Alabama or
8: Texas? Texas. Texas even it, though Texas beat Alabama. Yes, in a cocaine heartbeat. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> wow. Real, you don't want any part of Alabama now. No. It's not that I don't want any part of Alabama. I think that Texas is a significantly more favorable matchup even though they won than Alabama is. Okay. And some of that is because of that quarterback that Alabama has and how strong a runner he is and that he's not the same player he was back when they lost to Texas and yeah, I I would rather they be in the Rose Bowl. That would be my preference, no matter who they were playing. You give me my choice of those games. Yeah, But if you gave me my choice of opponents, I'm taking Texas. So you kind of split the baby on that one, that Washington gets the site that I'm not as fond of, but they get the opponent that I'd prefer. Did I
0: see that Washington is an underdog again? Yes, Texas minus four. <laughs> I, I, you know, I part of me says, well, That's because Vegas is trying to encourage equal wagering on both sides. So they've got to do what they think the public is going to do. But I keep saying, what what does Washington have to do to convince people? They just won as a nine and a half point underdog against a team that they've already beaten. Now they're playing a, a one loss team, a team who lost to Oklahoma, who's not very good. What does what Washington have to do to be a favorite in some of these? I guess maybe
8: we you don't want you as a highfalutin grad, you don't even want to be a favorite at this point, do you? It doesn't matter to me, but I do think it's silly, especially when you look at the caliber of quarterbacks that Texas has played. The one thing that I would say is that that, that game when they played Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel played really, really well, and they lost that game. But they haven't faced – I don't think there's good throwing quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in, in the big 12 Mm -hmm. and say what Mm -hmm. you want. Washington's pass offense and getting Jalen McMillan back. He's, he's not the reason they won the game. They, they, there were a lot of, but having Jalen McMillan back, that offense looks significantly differently. And after me scratching my head over how Michael Penix played in his completion percentage over the final seven games that, It was really hard to find a fault in the way that they played against Oregon on offense.
0: You don't think that Penix did enough uh, last Friday to win the Heisman, right? We think that the LSU guy, his numbers are so overwhelming that they're going to have to give it to him. And Penix finishes second or Knicks finishes second?
8: I think Penix finishes second ahead of Knicks. I think that's what will happen. And it's too bad. This is a year, it felt like you should get a year where there was no dominant defensive player that you could put up there. But this kind of feels like a year that that would have, yeah. would have happened because all three of the quarterbacks, Knicks loses twice to Penix. Penix was not as productive in those final seven games as he was the way he started. And Jaden Daniels racked up ridiculous stats on a team that lost three times. And he's not as, he's not as good as Lamar Jackson was the year Lamar Jackson won it on a a lesser Louisville team yeah
0: so it's. Uh, I'm looking at you I'm looking at your young face he cut his hair he looks like I'm still so like, smiling so, I'm still
5: smiling I'm beat looking at the that Ducks three
0: being, times in fifteen months you think they're gonna beat they're, they're gonna handle Texas I believe
8: so wow and then I it's, believe they will handle Texas and you believe Alabama will beat Michigan no I think Michigan's gonna win that you game. do really yes. yeah I,
0: I don't I think I really no. No, Michigan's- what's the spread of that game? I'm gonna go to the casino right now and bet. It. What's the do we know? What's the is Michigan a favorite? It has to be, right? I would I say would Michigan. I think so. Yeah. Oh, I'm taking Alabama. I don't th- really? I do not think Michigan is very good. I I shouldn't say that. I don't think they're as good as everybody else thinks they are. I think they played nobody until they play Penn State. Go back and look. They played Rutgers, they played Maryland, they mm-hmm. struggle with Maryland. They beat Penn State, and I'm not sure how good Penn State is. They played a good game against Ohio State, but they were at home in that game. And then they played played a, a team in the Big Ten championship game that literally, if we were playing flag football, <laughs> could not score against you, <laughs> me, Slickhawk, the guys that you go to the Husky games with. The, they, they couldn't score more than 10 points, that Iowa team, against
8: us in flag football. I was excited to watch Iowa until I realized that the cornerback they have. Are you familiar with the cornerback? No. Cooper DeJean? No. Cooper DeGene is a white cornerback. And not only is he a white cornerback, he's extremely good. Yeah. And I am fascinated by what's going to happen at the next level because he should continue to play cornerback, but you oh. watch the NFL is going to try to move oh. him to safety. Well, they got a good defense.
0: There's no, I would as a, has a has and he a was defense. injured,
8: yeah. but God, yeah, I, they, the two ranked teams they played, they failed to score. <laughs> Now, for our audience, because I put
0: you on the big boy show this week, for our audience who who maybe not patrons, didn't listen, I offered you a proposal many, many moons ago that I would buy 500 subscriptions (laughs) to the dang apostrophe if two things had to happen. And I always forget what the two things. One of them is Washington and one of them is the Seahawks. Tell me what those two things that had to happen for me to buy 500 of your subscriptions.
8: The Seahawks had to win 12. Regular season games. Okay, we'll come back to that. That's what I want to talk about. Yes. And the Washington Commanders would win the NFC East. Okay.
0: <laughs> Am I safe yet? Yeah. Can I spend the money elsewhere? <laughs> yeah. Can I buy 500 on Montlake subscriptions yes. instead? Yes, you okay. can. Okay. You can do whatever you wow. would like to do. 500 with of the Athletics. Um, okay, so Wash. I don't think. I I don't think Washington's winning the uh, the NFC East. And I don't think the Seahawks are winning 12 games, by the way. No, they are not. We are now at 6-6 six and six after that game the other night against the, the Cowboys. If you had to put your hard-earned money right now one way or the other on them making the playoffs this year,
8: yes or no? No. And that's unfortunate. But you've got a road game at San Francisco and then at home against Philadelphia. I don't think nine and eight is gonna get in for the Seahawks because they would lose a tiebreaker to who I well the Rams well if, they, if they, it's the Rams they've but, got they've got to finish ahead of the Rams yeah they don't play the Rams again I don't know if nine and eight's gonna get it in there and even if you say okay they lose those two how certain are you that they run the table and win their final three I'm not
0: I'm not certain. Not because of the opponents. I actually like the opponents, even though they're at Tennessee. I think that in a vacuum, you look at each one of them. I think that they should mm-hmm. win each one of them. But yep. I, I just don't know that I trust this team to win three games in a row with yes. f- with faceless opponents. It doesn't matter who the opponents are. So. Yeah, but, and- but here's where I differ with you. Here's where I differ with you. And you're going to be a little surprised by this. I think they might beat the Eagles here on Monday Night Football.
8: I think they're more likely to win at San Francisco. You do. Than they See, are to I don't beat know. The, the Eagles nah. really?
0: I I just the home game, the Monday night game, if they lose to San Francisco, it will be four in a row. I First time ever, Pete will have lost four in a row in Seattle. First time never ever lost never lost four in a row. I just I don't know what it is about that Eagles game. I got a funny feeling about that Eagles game. And you can hold me to that and bring it back and throw it in my face. If, I, if I'm wrong, but I and if they can win, well, either way, if they can win one of these two somehow, now mm-hmm. they need to win two out of the last three to get to nine and eight. And I don't know that as a distant relative of Mr. Playoffs that that I, I agree with your assessment about 9-8 and eight when I look at the NFC. Because you got to remember, they've got a pretty good for a 9-8 and eight team. They would have a pretty good conference record if it's not a head-to-head lock with the Rams. So that conference record comes into play, which is pretty good because they've lost, what is it, two games to the AFC, maybe three games to the AFC, at least two. Baltimore yeah, they've lost they, two. They lost to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Right. And then, and then they've still
8: got Pittsburgh. And, and, and in
0: this scenario, where they lose two out, of, where they win two out of the three down the stretch, to get to nine and eight, one of those could be against an AFC team because two of them, two of the opponents are AFC teams. So now you'd have three of your eight losses would be against the AFC. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm spouting too much, Mister Playoffs, right
8: now. Do you think nine and eight? They get in at nine and eight. Yeah, because I don't think the Rams are going to get to nine
0: and eight. So I, I think the, I think the Seahawks. That's the magic number. Nine and eight gets them probably the
8: last wild card in the NFC. I can see them getting there. That still feels like this is a step backward for it them does. this it season. Does. Yeah, yeah. Because you're at the same spot where last year we looked at it and said, nine and eight, and you get in the playoffs, and man, Russell Wilson went off a cliff and they avoided disaster and they've got all this room to grow. And this year, you're like, they're in the same spot after making the big talent additions that they did, not only that, they traded their second rounder for Leonard Williams. And I think they're gonna have to look, Gino played really well. Gino played really well against Dallas, but they're gonna have to find an alternative at quarterback, even if they bring him back. They've gotta find another path, another viable path at quarterback, and that path is not Drew Locke. It feels like they kind of found their way on offense, but it's a little bit too late. It's a little bit too late.
0: Are you in, in the camp of Gino's the problem offensively? Are you in my camp that when you see, especially, see, evidence to me Thursday night is profound. For the first time all year, they threw quick stuff. They mm-hmm. they had a little sleight of hand. They They used a screen pass or two. They used the middle of the field a couple of times. Now, I still have a problem with the way Shane Waldron handled those fourth down plays, especially the last one where the idea was to get the ball to DJ Dallas, a special, a glorified special teams player, and to let Micah Parsons run free. But having said that, I've been saying all along, I've seen enough of Geno when you go back to the first nine games of last year and in spots this year, and now the Dallas game, which I thought was his finest moment, probably – you know with the exception of the one interception, maybe considering everything Dallas's defense where the game was, maybe his best performance of his Seahawks career could be. maybe the best performance of his career. Uh, Geno Smith, one of anyway. I, I think the evidence t- to me, the evidence is clear that the problem is the scheme. I said I said on the show last week, and I know I wonder if you agree. You pick up Brock Purdy, who by just about all metrics is the number one quarterback in the NFL. He's going to be the first team All-Pro in the NFC. He's going to be an All-Pro. He's got unbelievable numbers for the Niners. You pick up Brock Purdy and you plop him down in Geno Smith's position. What kind of quarterback is he? And 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 vice versa. You pick Geno Smith up and you put him with Shanahan in that offense and what they do offensively in their scheme. Are you telling me the 49ers would have a real bad issue, on a bad problem on their hands? Their quarterback would be keeping them from the Super Bowl? I don't think so. I think the answers are Brock Purdy would be a nothing in this scheme, and Geno Smith would be fine, if not then some, with the Niners.
8: Certainly what's happened with Jimmy Garoppolo since he left San Francisco is evidence would be exhibit one for prosecutor Mitch Levy's case <laughs> that it, it's the offense stupid because jimmy looked god-awful when he was playing for the raiders mm-hmm. and in san francisco they were a good offense i i think we all recognize there was a ceiling with garoppolo but they were a good offense they were a deep make a deep run in the playoff he just wasn't able to win close games down the stretch so Certainly that speaks to the idea that Kyle Shanahan's system makes the most out of the quarterback that's there. Then you throw in the fact that Matt Ryan was an MVP, was had the best year of his career, the Falcons get to the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the coordinator. I don't think Geno Smith is the problem. I also don't think he's the solution. I knew
0: you were going to say that. Okay, yeah.
8: And yeah. Okay. that might be because the solution is getting and changing the offensive scheme and starting over again and you hired shane waldron and he's been here three years and you've certainly seen the the regression that they've experienced on offense this season is pretty inexplicable their offensive line early on was banged up but they're they're healthy and the swoon that they had up until going seven quarters without reaching the end zone is is inexplicable given the talent that they have on that side of the ball so I would I would tend to agree with you that it's more likely that the scheme is the problem than the quarterback. But I also think that you need another quarterback. Yeah, you need another potential path here, if only because Gino, he's been in the league eleven years now. He's not a young quarterback. You've got and for whatever reason, Seattle has not been inclined to have a young quarterback developing behind a veteran. They've just never done it, which you, you've got to get somebody younger in there that could be a potential quarterback of the future. The voice of Daniel
0: Timothy O'Neill, the dang apostrophe. Now listen, just because you're on the big boy show this week doesn't mean you don't have to come back for your patron show. Quick turnaround. This is like one of those Sunday games followed by a Thursday game. I don't know that you can be effective. I think I'm going to have to watch your pitch count this week you got a quick turnaround. You're going to have to be sharp as a tack
8: for the patrons on Thursday. You know that. The first thing you said to me, Mitch, was that I looked younger. You do. And I think that part of that is the joie de vivre, the little pep in my step from watching the Oregon Ducks fall for the second time this year for the third time in 15 months that after 2 months of listening to all sorts of Oregon fans and some Washington fans yeah. express deep rooted <laughs> bone deep concern that Oregon was going to run rough shot just wait we'll get you in the Pac12 championship to watch Washington jump out to a 20 to 3 lead to watch them weather an insane comeback there there is no mountain high enough no valley low enough. Diana, not, baby. Come I, on, Diana. I will not be ready for you on Wednesday uh, to bring you high heat as we look ahead to the college football playoff, to the Mariners and their bold moves. And the Oh, wait, no. That probably won't.
0: I want to point out for our audience that he's known to to toss in rap lyrics and ask me if I know who the artist is, which I'm oh for the world, but when he throws in Diana Ross, I got it. I got I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Timothy O'Neill. Thank you, Danny. Go Dogs. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand. There's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue.
9: Yes, uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Nice, very, very nice. So that means
0: the new "Make Mitch Look Foolish" quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. (laughs)
9: That's right. Okay, I'm
0: ready. Go ahead.
9: So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over. Over that time. Okay. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that traded at attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Mm-hmm. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2% or down 1%? Over?
0: I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that?
9: Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla. Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%?
0: So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. <laughs>
9: Well, they're actually up 24%. Oh, no, for two. <laughs> so you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means
0: I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead.
9: All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a oh. true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year.
0: Well, that has to be true if the, if the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right?
9: That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this okay. year. Okay.
0: I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. It's the Seahawks No Table presented by Taco Time Northwest. Hey, Brian Nemhauser, the corn chowder is back and I've been diving in at perhaps an alarming rate. It's the best for a limited time at all Taco Time locations. Brian and Brady still buzzing after the close call in Dallas with the 49ers back on deck this week. Brian Nemhauser's also scratching his head about the KP rules on Mitch Unfiltered. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Brady much more competitive on the on the road in Dallas than I think a lot of people expected who gets the blame get out the pointer finger why did the Seahawks lose the game on Thursday against the Cowboys
10: well this one's pretty easy i mean their defense was terrible and and look i realized there were some calls that went against uh, the defense some what ended up being big calls and maybe some iffy um you know pass interference type calls and coverage okay take away a couple of those I mean, that's still uh, just a terrible defensive showing. And look, yeah, it was against a very good offense uh, that has been humming this season, especially at home. They've been blowing teams out at home. But you've got to be better than that. I mean, they Dallas had... Nine actual possessions. I think technically it was eleven, but one of those was the kneel down at the end of the game. Yeah, the other was the kickoff that they received at the end of the first half, which they never, their offense never actually got on the field because the half ended with the kickoff. So nine actual possessions, and eight scores. That's that's just terrible. And, and I mean, they they I guess you could say they did some things well. They got after Dak Prescott well with four sacks. I think seven or eight quarterback hits, but. You, that's that's just an awful showing on defense, and okay. so okay. That, that's, that's where reason. I go first. That's of all. the
0: reason, Brian Brady centered on the defense, and there's no question how bad the defense was. But when I asked him to give me the reason why the Seahawks lost to the Cowboys, he never mentioned <laughs> some of the big plays on offense. For as good as the offense was, he never mentioned the three fourth down misses. You figure if they get a couple of those, or if Tyler Lockett catches the ball on offense, they also could have won the game. So where do you center on the uh, on the blame pie for this game?
6: Well, I love to be a contrarian, you know? Uh, <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I think the defense certainly didn't play a great game. I think they played a much better game than than Brady is saying and then I think a lot of other really? folks are saying. And my evidence for that is this was a quarterback in Dak Prescott that hadn't been sacked in three weeks zero in three weeks. He was sacked four times and should have been five if Daryl Taylor could have actually completed the the play yep. there. Yep. You also had CeeDee Lamb who had an amazing game, but they kept him mostly underneath. He averaged under 10 yards a catch. They were making Dallas work for the points that they got. They're not a better defense than Dallas's offense, period. Like that's just the, the case. But I thought for the most part, you know, they they, they, held, they they held Dallas without scoring after the turnover from Geno. They held Dallas to a field goal um, at the end of the game that gave the, the offense a chance. They held Dallas four times in the red zone without a touchdown. So I think that they did enough in this type of game to win. And I think ultimately where this really hinged was the three fourth down plays that they couldn't convert and the Tyler Lockett drop. You know, I throw a small bit towards the Jake Bobo play before the fourth down, where I thought he absolutely should have gotten the first down and came Uh-oh. up a yard short. Uh-oh. But really, it was a fourth down plays to me that that cost this team the game. Okay,
10: and on so, a screen pass, I might add, a screen pass. Yes, yes, yes. But I just feel like that I'm
0: fortunate that Brady hasn't thrown his headsets in and disconnected from us when you took a shot at Jake Bobo. The <laughs> fact that Brady's still on the line here, I was worried we were going to lose Brady when there was a shot at Bobo. So okay, so Brian. I'm kind of with you on the, the fourth down plays and the, the Tyler Lockett drop. You want to assess now blame on those particular plays? It's funny. There's so much Geno bashing in the Northwest that if you watch social media, you'll see people blame Geno for the Lockett drop because people don't like to blame Tyler Lockett. He threw it too fa- too soon. It was on him too soon. He, he should have waited a half a second more. It was a tiny bit. It was a, it was centimeters behind him. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Do you want to take on either that play or the fourth down
6: calls? Was it the calls? Was it the ex- execution? First of all, the Geno <laughs> slander is just silly. That was an absolutely elite performance by Geno Smith. Not only was this guy getting rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, he was under pressure. The majority of his dropbacks, and the majority of those times where he was getting pressure in under two and a half seconds, and he was able to have explosive plays. Usually, when you're getting the ball out that quickly, it is these dink and dunk things, and it looks just awful. And they had a number of really big plays down the field. So I thought Geno Smith played an excellent game. I would even defend his interception throw. He had to make that choice quickly. I thought Tyler Lockett, again, lost on that route, was overpowered on that route. The ball placement was pretty good, and he didn't make the play. So I I definitely think that that Tyler Lockett was at fault for stumbling. I, I mean, fault is kind of odd. But... He stumbled. He just stumbled. It yeah, happened. But, so but phys- he still
0: could make the catch. Stumbled. Yeah, it was a was physical
6: still, error. It yeah. was tough. I, I don't really, I'm not like upset with Tyler Lockett there. It just happened. Yep. I, you know, I think that the, I was happy that they called a run play on fourth and short. For God's sakes, so we can't get Shane Waldron to call a run play on a short yardage situation. And then you know the, the, the play that I quiv- um, have a, a challenge with is yeah. the last play call. That, I mean, we, I think we all, that's an easy target. It just made no sense for that to be the call of all the things you can do. And I have not spent time on the refs yet, but that was another part of my defense for the defense. I think there is at least a ten point swing on on referee calls in this game, and I think they were really awful, awful calls. So I don't normally go there, but I yeah. think the refs had a massive impact on this. As so
0: well. Brady, you dissected on Twitter the fourth down plays and Pete Carroll's explanations on 7 10, seven ten ESPN, ESPN seven ten. How does he? How do we? How do we say Seattle it? Sports seven ten a.m. Okay. Seattle Sports seven ten say it with me a.m. Um, after doing all that and listening to the explanations, have you arrived at any personal conclusions on the fourth day, on the fourth down problems that really, essentially, could have cost them the game?
10: Based on what Pete Carroll said, based on what we heard afterwards, and just looking at it logically, it does sound like you know the the plays were poorly executed, but also. It sounds like there was an opportunity, and, and Pete Carroll, you have to kind of read between the lines in what he was saying. He seemed to strongly imply that on the second two, not not the Charbonnet run, but the the pass where he just heaves it up to right. Jackson Smith and right. Juba, right? And then obviously the last one where they could have done a better job of identifying, you know, the look before the snap and and either getting out of the play or getting out of the protection. Um, and so he he did seem to be putting some onus on Geno to. To see that better. Now, you, we can go through each one of those individually. Uh, I mean, on, on the first one, Charles Cross just gets beat. He sort of uh, misjudges what Demarcus Lawrence is going to do based on Demarcus Lawrence's alignment, and Lawrence just blows up the play in the backfield. But again, Pete Carroll said, and actually, that was the one where Carroll didn't really put anything on Gino there. That was on Cross. The second one, he said that was basically just a technical error on the tackles, where because Dallas was showing. You know, blitzes in the A gaps, the O line is squeezing inward. Uh, and as part of that, they're sort of trying to make, they're, they're using what's called a drag hand technique. Uh, and they got a little too heavy with that and it caused pressure on the outside. But again, he said that Gino could have seen that front and maybe not expected to have as much time as he did. Uh, and then the last one is obviously the most interesting one. Uh, it's the most debatable and it was the most important one. But yeah, he, he again seemed to say that, hey, they should have blocked it differently. The plan at the line of scrimmage, based on what they called there, was uh, to leave Parsons unblocked. Now, Carroll said afterwards that they shouldn't have done that, that they should have changed that and they should have had Abe Lucas block uh, Micah Parsons there. Now, Carroll said that, interestingly, he said that he liked the play and he said that he thought the play would have worked. But if you watch it, and you made this point uh, on Twitter, Mitch, that um, it looked like DeMarcus Lawrence had that sniffed out the entire time and that he was all over Dallas. And so, um, I, you know, who knows what it would have looked like had they on. had they blocked it differently all or properly.
0: Right. So we could talk about Micah Parsons all we want on that play, Brian. And we could talk about Lawrence, uh, DeMarcus Lawrence on that play all we want. But I think we're losing sight of the football 101 mistake here. And maybe the football 101 mistake is any play where you let Micah Parsons run unimpeded. But there's another football 101 mistake here. You've got all these guys on your football team offensively, and the decision is to throw it to your third down running back in the flat, who's really uh, a glorified special teams player who hasn't made a play really offensively in his entire career as a Seattle Seahawk. I mean, you've got all these other guys why are we Why are we throwing it to third? All due respect to DJ Dallas. I don't mean any disrespect to him, but, but come it sounds on. Like l- little, 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 sounds little, little, like, little like you mean a little disrespect. No, no, I, disrespect. I, I, I really don't mean I, it, it. It's not his call. Why are
6: we featuring him? Yeah. In the big, in the single biggest play of the football. Well, game. well, Brady mentioned that the offensive lineman was struggling with the drag hand technique. I think DJ Dallas has a career of struggling with the drag foot technique. <laughs> uh, so so, yeah, I, I will disrespect I, I, I not as a person, but as a player, DJ Dallas for me is a guy that has very little to offer out of the backfield. I'm not surprised Kenny McIntosh wasn't in for that play. But why I, are we seeing him? Where is he? What We know what we've got in DJ Dallas. Why are we not seeing Kenny
0: McIntosh? You're not going
10: to put him out there in a no, two-minute situation. No, 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 no,
0: no, no. Way. I'm saying uh, in a general, legal, yeah. in general, yes. why, since he's been healthy, have they not given him an opportunity to at least That's showcase showcase what he could be in the carries that in the plays that, that DJ Dallas is out there. It doesn't make it's any sense. It's absolutely
6: trust. I, I'm 100% with you, Mitch. I, I think that, that the only logical thing here is to play a player that you don't know what you have in him because you need to understand if there's, if there's upside there, you don't have upside in DJ Dallas. So, so I'm a hundred percent with you, but the reason they don't is because they trust DJ Dallas to do what he's supposed to do on the play. And they don't yet know from Kenny McIntosh and they're not yet in the situation where I think at least for me, I am, which is this season, the rest of the season is player evaluation. This isn't about winning a Super Bowl. This isn't about contending and you're not learning anything from playing DJ Dallas. So I absolutely would want to play Kenny McIntosh, but I, I think, I think we're missing the even bigger point here. Kenny McIntosh is not the difference between this team being good and bad. The offensive line came into this season where people were like, hey, this is they got the two young tackles. They've got, you know, maybe something building here. I think the offensive line has largely been a shit show. And I think that they were not good in this game. I think Abe Lucas did okay his first game back. Charles Cross struggled mightily. I, I think that this entire line is a question mark going into next season. That is the biggest issue with this entire team, bar none. Okay, And I, I don't okay. think it gets enough conversation. Okay. Brady, that's what?
0: Three in a row lost, four out of the last five lost, and yet an eternal optimist might point out at least temporarily, the return of the offense's pass game against Dallas. Clearly, that was the best game from a pass-offense perspective of the entire season, especially when you consider where they did it and against what defense they did it. The play calling was a little bit different. Geno got the ball out quicker. They actually used the middle of the field a lot more than they usually do. Are you buying it that that's the new now way? When we line up against San Francisco, or was it a bit of a fluke?
10: I don't know if it's going to be sustainable. I don't think they're going to put up, you know, 35 points every game from here on out, especially not against the 49ers and Eagles. But I do buy that that is the template that they're going to try to go with. And we even heard Pete Carroll say that leading into that Dallas game that the Gino conversation has been ongoing for several weeks. And, and you know, one question to Carol was, you know, Carol's been saying that every everybody else needs to do better around him, need to play better around him. But what does Gino himself have to do? And the answer was he's got to get the ball out quickly. He's got to play with, you know, more rhythm and, and better timing and everything. Shane Waldron said the exact same thing. So that was clearly the emphasis uh, and I think it's clearly going to continue to be emphasis for the same reasons, because for the same reason that they needed to get the ball out quickly against Dallas, that mm-hmm. was to not give that great Cowboys pass rush time mm-hmm. to get to him. It's the, it's going to be the same thing uh, against, you know, the next okay. couple of weeks with Philly and, and San Francisco and even uh, Tennessee has, or uh, Titans have a good pass rush.
0: So uh, Brian, um, you disagreed with Brady to the level that the defense played on Thursday night in Dallas, but Let's take a step back and look at that defense. Four or six weeks ago, we all had the conversations on this show and every other show that we were intrigued by what was coming from this defense. They were clearly on the rise. Devin Witherspoon was taking on a starring role. Jamal Adams was back and making some plays. Leonard Williams joined the fray. Are we disappointed? You know, Brady's not because he's not a fan. Are we disappointed, (laughs) Brian, that the defense hasn't accomplished more traction, let's call it that, over the last three or four weeks. I thought if you would have said to me six weeks ago after the Giants game or whatever game, you would have said to me, where is the Seahawks defense going to be in in that Dallas game and, and in that part of the schedule? I would have said, oh my God, it may be one of the top five or seven defenses in the NFL. They're not there yet, regardless of how you think they played against Dallas. Why and should we feel disappointed in that?
6: Yeah, I I absolutely think it's reasonable to be disappointed. And I thought it was reasonable to be hopeful back then. And I think there's a few things that I look at. One is... I think the Achenonuosu loss was a bigger deal than I gave it credit for. So I, I didn't think it was going to be as big of a deal. I think they have no legitimate second pass rusher on the edge. There's just nobody that stands up. Frank Clark shouldn't even be in the NFL at this point. He got a lot of snaps in this game. And that's just evidence of the level that they've got on the edge yeah. opposite Boye Mafe. Boy Mafe, as well as he's played is not a premier pass rusher. He's not a guy that's going to beat double teams and, and dominate. Uh, and so I think that's an issue. I think that the linebackers have finally they found offensive play callers who found ways to isolate the linebackers in coverage. And as good as they played against the run, those guys have not been great in coverage, especially Bobby Wagner. And that's come to bite them. Yeah. And then Jamal Adams, yeah, he looks like a guy who's coming back from a major injury and is not the impact player, play in, play out, game in, game out. I think that the corners have played pretty darn well. I think even Reek Woolen, who we've been critical of for good reason, I think has played pretty well. And I even think played reasonably well in this game uh, against Mm -hmm. Dallas. So yeah, I I basically look, the way I look at it is the safeties are the two highest paid players on this team, I believe. And I think they're two of the worst starters on this defense. Really? Quandre, That's a major Quandre issue. Diggs.
0: No good on Quadre Diggs. Nope. No Wait, good. No good. No good. I no don't good. think he's on this team So So year. let me, Brian, ask you then now after what you said about the edge rushers, which I, by the way, completely agree about Nuosu and about everybody outside of the name Mafé. Let's then now circle back for a second on the Leonard Williams acquisition talk after they did it. You remember, we talked about Chase Young. Now, I don't pretend to know, you would know, what Brian's BFF, PFF would say about Chase Young's contribution to the 49ers so far. Maybe you'll tell me he's been terrible. I don't know. But I got to tell you, Brian, I'm with you, and I know you have the same reaction as I do. Every time the Seahawks defense goes out to the field in a game, They've got the rotation where Frank Clark is out there and Derek Hall is out there. I look out on my TV and I say, my God, they are severely missing edge performers when Frank Clark and Derek Hall are out there. And so I wonder back, did they make the right decision? Was As great as Williams
6: might be, was Williams the right decision in terms of the trade deadline for the Seahawks? From my perspective, absolutely. I, I haven't changed my point of view at all. Well, they on could that.
0: have gotten an edge. You were just complaining about the edge. I, I get it. Missing
6: an edge it's it's very specific. If we were talking about Brian Burns or someone who was going to be a guy yeah. that they were going to extend, it would be a different conversation. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't because think there's the any chance they would have extended Chase Young. And okay. so he would have been a rental okay. player. Okay. And I think that's the wrong move for this team. They shouldn't okay. be all in on rental players. And that's why, God, I feel so bad for Leonard Williams. Going from the Giants to this, he thought he was coming to a winning team. They haven't won since he came here. Well, I guess maybe they won once, but now I think there's a real chance that trade is a disaster because he may not want to resign if this is the trajectory of this team and you've lost a second rounder for a rental player. That's what you could not afford to do.
10: Yeah, I I think they still made the right move there. I mean, but in terms of getting in terms of going for Leonard Williams versus Chase Young. Now the question of did they give up too much for Leonard Williams? That's a whole nother question, but I, I think he's playing well and I, th- I still think you go back to the reasons why they wanted him over Chase Young. It was Chase Young's got the really significant injury history and Washington was desperate to move on from a guy that they had drafted that early. And that was a red flag. And so, I, look, I think, you know, when you talk about the edge, you got to factor in Draymond Jones there because he is playing on the edge more. But like you said, they're just getting zero Zero from Frank Clark and Derek Hall, and so, um, yeah, the the Nwosu thing is a big deal. I, I don't think that Quandre Diggs is playing that poorly. I mean, his job, first and foremost, is to cover the seams, uh, in, in posts, and there hasn't been a lot of balls that are getting over his head. He hasn't made as many plays as he had in recent years, but he hasn't, he's not like he's giving up uh, a ton of plays, and he's not, I mean he's probably the fifth or sixth highest paid guy on the team. There's not as big a disparity between what he's getting paid and how he's performing. But I do agree with you that given the way it's going, anybody who's making any sort of money on that defense and isn't you know one year into a contract, I think you do have to wonder whether or not they're going to be back next year. And I, I think there's a very tiny chance that Jamal Adams is back. I think that is becoming more and more of a no-brainer.
0: So there is a, a 100% chance that we will be back for patrons on Friday, unlike the last two weeks. That's when we'll revisit KP, where the updated standings are <laughs> Mitch 6, Brady 3, and Brian 1. But I feel like Brian needs a little space on the show. I can see it in his eyes. He wants to, after all these years of Mitch Unfiltered and the uh, and the Seahawks no table and the KP competition, I can just see him chomping at the bit to have the rules changed. The rules committee go back over the... Uh, the way we uh police this thing.
6: Yes. Oh, I'm I'm here as a humble guest, <laughs> so I'm happy to, to go with whatever the rules are. It is it is a little bit odd that y- you guys don't go with what Vegas goes with, which is spread, but but that's, you know, that's what I want to do. do I fought
10: this battle and lost it before. And Mitch's okay. explanation was if we go by point differential, then that means if the Seahawks lose by 7, and i picked 193 correct you know for dallas to correct. win then does correct. that mean that i win
0: correct. i would argue yeah maybe C- correct correct if 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 Brian nemhauser picks seahawks 3 49ers nothing this week and brady henderson picks seahawks 41 niners 37 this week and the final score is 40 to 37 on Brian's watch, Brian would win with 3-0 over Brady's 41-37. to 37. And that on Mitch Unfiltered will never be tolerated. Now, you might say, then let's not do scores. Let's just say Seahawks. I'll take Seahawks by three. I'll take Seahawks by nine. I'll take 49ers by 12. But then you run into the risk of the first guy just getting hammered the first guy says Seahawks by six the next guy says Seahawks by seven and the the following guy says Seahawks by five and the first guy has been trapped and there's no way he can win unless it's an actual five-point spread so there's the defense from the guy whose name I guess is on the marquee of why the KP is ruled the way it is any problems with that explanation Brian Nemhauser
6: I mean, I think I think as I said, I, I I know the rules and I have lost by the rules, so so you know, of course I'm going to try to change the rules, but oh. but uh, you know, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer, okay. fellas. Okay. I, I'm on the I'm on the green most of the time now. That's that's a start. Do you want to change the word shit show on the offensive
0: line, or do you want to stay with shit show? I'll give you an opportunity to choose a different noun to describe the uh, the offensive line's performance. Why would I do that? No, nah, I'm just. <laughs> because, just because i wanted to say shit show that's it ladies and gentlemen seahawks no table episode 265 we'll be back for uh patrons on friday just before to preview the san francisco 49ers second tilt of the season brian nemhauser the hawk blogger on twitter thank you so much
6: thank you mitch and congrats to the washington huskies
0: yeah number two brady henderson espn.com thank you brady all right thanks Mitch. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsey Schwartz of Daniels Broiler. I gotta tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsey's family was experiencing
5: the less shy remodel after a couple of months how'd it come out Lindsay? hey mitch happy holidays uh it came out great we had a great time the space looks beautiful the views are even better there's more windows bigger windows we kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views it's awesome uh you got to check it out you're gonna love it
0: yeah we've already made plans the levy family has to check out the new Remodel at Leschi, the original Daniels broiler. Now Daniels starts with a D, December starts with a D, there's nothing quite like Daniel's during the holidays, Lindsay.
5: It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. Nice. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the winter wonderland, the snowflake lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure.
0: And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered, obviously world class steakhouses. Hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son Hank fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a trader and going off to Austin, Texas, does he understand this?
2: <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects <laughs> right now, Mitch. This is a, this is good family All trash right. talk going on right now. Yeah. He does realize it. Now he loves being a longhorn as you know, Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there, but, and, and he's a proud longhorn, but he he's, he's a true blue Husky too. And so, you know, he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the Alamo bowl. And now of course he's loving what the Huskies are doing and sure. longhorns are having a great season too. But yeah, let's put it this way the the huskies in the family trash talk the uh long (laughs) speaking of
0: football season last time you were on you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the zeeks first of all how's it going and second of all how about reviewing how we can participate
2: yeah no it's going great pigskin 10 is super popular people are using it Um, and just to refresh what the deal is is if you use the code pigskin 10 you get ten dollars off your order pretty simple the order needs to be forty dollars or more before the discount so thirty dollars after the discount right Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season there's a limit once per day but you can use it as much as you want and so use it whenever you're watching a game watching the hawks the huskies whoever we're getting a lot of orders with it so it's popular so it's thursdays Saturday, Sundays, Mondays? Is that right? Yep, what we call it, football days. So Thursday night football, of course, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, uh, and Monday night football. So yeah, Beautiful. football days, good, and, good reminder. And the code
0: is PIGSKIN10 for $10 off of all orders. And it's the fall and football season, so do me a favor before you go. Highlight one of Zeke's specialty beers that
2: stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections. Yeah, no, it's, it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season and fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine put it right into the kettle and so you get really a nice fresh hop feel Mm -hmm. so we got two of them single hill lateral a fresh hop and uh varietals everything is blossom fresh hop so those those are the recommended beers right now that's awesome zeke's pizza from seattle all the way to boise homegrown in the northwest unfiltered
0: Episode 265 starring the Graz, David Grosby oh, and the Gras and the Gras, Mitchie and the Graz. <laughs> other stuff segment of this episode 265. We left off segment one. You brought up a great point. What did you say? What were your words? How much and how long? What did you say about Kalen DeBoer? What you would say if you're Washington?
1: That's what I'd be saying to them, to DeBoer, right now. Is how much do you want and for how long do you want it? Because I think he he looks like a an, uh, 102 and 11 record overall. The ability he had to communicate with his guys this year, I thought was incredible. You mentioned in in the that segment we were talking about it that you know maybe without his offensive coordinator, because I mean that guy looks fantastic to me. I mean you think he'd be a head coach somewhere. I think DeBoer is, is something special as a coach. We'll see what he can do without panics, obviously. But let me ask you this, Mitchie. If you're one of the many quarterbacks who are already yeah. in the portal, and you're looking for about. a spot where I can succeed, and you're going to look at Washington and say, well, well, I guess I could do well there. Yeah. They took an Indiana quarterback yeah. and made him a Heisman Trophy. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think in terms of recruiting players, which is what's what's happening again. I mean, it's not recruiting. It's more like the NFL and paying guys. But if you're going look to at, look at places to be where you can excel – Washington is all of a sudden way up on that list, near the very top. So I think they'll be bringing in some really great players next year. Took the very words
0: out of my mouth. I think there are two obviously big factors when it comes to quarterbacks in the portal. What I said to you at the end of segment one, I truly believe that the starting quarterback for Washington next year is not on the team right now. And every day, Graz, you get on the computer, you pick up a newspaper, another accomplished quarterback. Now, I'm not talking about just quarterbacks Mm -hmm. around that haven't played. They're in the transfer portal, too. But there are these graduate transfers. There are these guys that have thrown for big yards at their current programs and had good seasons, like the guy from Washington State, Cam Ward. Two handfuls of these guys Mm -hmm. already in the portal. And I would say, okay... Many of them are going to go where they can get the best NIL deal. That's the world we live in, and maybe Washington, maybe not, can compete on that level if if there's an Alabama or an LSU or a Notre Dame or somebody who's going to throw a whole bunch of money at a guy, maybe Washington can't win that battle. But there are going to be guys that are going to say, yeah, the NIL money is important, and I want a little bit of NIL money. But let me go, go somewhere ahead. where I can be featured and I can be placed in a position to be in the NFL a year from now. And when you talk about the second part of that, outside of the NIL. I can't imagine and you kind of said it at the end of segment 1. Any kid or any kid's family would not look at Washington and say, "Oh my god, our kid could great. go, our kid could go there right now, get some NIL money, maybe not the most, paired up with Kalen DeBoer." Our guy's better than what Michael Penix was at Indiana. Our son is as good as that. He, right, could go, right. he could go there right now and have a great. And we know what Deboer is going to do. He's going to throw, throw, throw. And when he's done throwing, he's going to throw some more.
1: I mean, <laughs> this.
0: Uh, where would wide you receivers want, too Wide receivers why, too much Wide you. receivers too? I why? Mean, why in the world would you not? Now, wide receivers are a little bit different because they have other wide receivers that will remain on the roster that from this fair year. Enough. But the quarterback position again. No disrespect to Dylan Morris. It's wide open. It's it's here, baby. Go there and throw for 4,000 mm-hmm. yards and go to the NFL the following year, Graz.
1: It's amazing that, that this happens and Washington's in that position, that, that they are as attractive a team as there is in the country. I mean, look, they might be coming off a national championship. I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> you know, then you're, you're totally in line for, for every, you know, you're at the front of the line for everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's hard It's hard to evaluate, Mitchie, because things have, have you know, they've changed. it's a new world. It's a completely new world. And, you know, people are still, you know, kind of blindly going through it and trying to figure out what, what's going to work and what's not going to work, you know. And you see Deion Sanders bringing in 60 new players, you know, in one, in one fell swoop. And right. teams are changing every year. And it's going to be a different kind of coach that's going to be successful. It's going to be a guy who's able to deal with a different rock year after year, like of Calipari did there for a while successfully with Kentucky. So that that remains to be seen, if that's something that, that's a strength of Kalen DeBoer's or not. But you know, from what I've seen from him so far, Mitch, is, is as good a coach as the Huskies have had, as solid as, as coaches they've had since I've been in town. I mean, just based on a very small sample size, I understand that, and having the same quarterback, I just think that Washington has never looked unprepared to me for a game. Communication level they seem to have going between the coaching staff and the players seems to be outstanding. I just don't see any of any of the, the stuff that derails programs, derails teams happening with this club mm-hmm. under this guy, mm-hmm. who, as we mentioned, or I mentioned, has this insane winning record. I mean, a lot of it I know was down a lower level, but you know he's just been successful everywhere he's gone. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what what happens for Washington, and then of course in the Big Ten, so you got a whole new recruiting area too which which you didn't really have necessarily before that. So, um, but, you know, I mean, how important is recruiting going to be, Mitchie? Is it just going to be money? Because Washington has money. I mean, they're NIL. They, they can pay NIL money. But, you know, I'm curious to see what, what becomes the most important thing as as we as we move on, winning or that.
0: If I asked you to close your eyes and picture Cam Ward, the Washington State quarterback, in a in a University of Washington uniform, playing against the Cougs at Lumen Field (laughs) next September. Um, You think that would be a great combination, Ward and DeBoer together, if Grubb's not around anymore? You think that Ward could pick up where Michael Penix left off? I, I wouldn't feel bad if he came. <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: I think it's a great question. I mean, it's a great question. He's not the same quarterback as Penix is, but he's There's something obviously about Graz. there's
0: yeah, something, and I know, and I know DeBoer deserves a lot of credit, and this is kind of what I'm saying in a backhanded way. We're going to find out next year and the following year, how much credit DeBoer deserves, and how much this was about a special player, in Michael Penix. You watch him, Man, I I am impressed at every turn with Michael Penix. And he obviously can make all the throws. He'll be in the NFL next year. I'm surprised that he's not higher rated amongst the Mel Kuypers of the world. Like why they've got three or four quarterbacks more. But the one thing about Penix that I don't think translates to metrics, I noticed this a lot, but especially in Vegas in the championship game the other night. Look at his eyes. How cool and collected, that guy is. He's never excited, too excited after they score and after they get up. Can't tell when he's down, when they're down a little bit. And they need. he doesn't seem impacted by the moment at all. When they fell behind and he had to take him the length of the field and they showed the close-up of him in the helmet, his eyes, steely, focused. Joe
1: Montana is a comparison, Mitchie. Joe, I mean, Joe Montana, Montana is the yes, comparison. Yeah. I mean, that's who he looks like. I mean, he's completely in control. Completely. Completely in control. And you remember, DeBoer was his offensive coordinator at, at Indiana too, so he, he knows him well and is very intimately involved with, with putting together what, what he became. But um, certain things you can't teach, and that's 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 the biggest one of all, right. is composure. I mean, you, know, you can try and tell guys to be composed, but how do you teach it? You either have it or you don't, and he has it.
0: It's very easy in a game like that, Graz, I think we all know this, when there is so much hype and so much excitement. For a quarterback to come out of the gate a little too fired up and maybe mm-hmm. overthrow a receiver or miss a couple of guys just because you're so juiced up, it's mm-hmm. impossible. Not him. Not oh. I, 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 Maybe Penix. Maybe a little Penix in those first couple of drives. I'll tell you, every throw from the get-go that Penix, Penix, even throws that he missed were really, really close. He was right on point. He did not let the moment affect him in the least.
1: On Friday, uh, Aggie, yeah. not be intimidated? I don't care if you're Alabama or whoever you are. If you're in a close game against this guy in the fourth quarter, Ooh. who you've watched on film come through time after time after time, close games, it doesn't matter if, if it's a great opponent or a bad opponent, close games, you just win them, period. It's been a marvel to watch. I mean, he, he's been as great a Husky quarterback as, they're, as they're, they've ever had. And it's just after two years, but he's really been something special.
0: Before we get out of here, Graz. How about uh, the Mariners' inactivity? A lot of restless Mariners fans out there wondering what the heck is going on. Well, I hear guys leaving. I hear you trading Suarez. I hear you're not signing back Teo. I hear you say, "Oh, we're not in the Otani sweepstakes. That that's way out of our price range. He's not in our future." What are we doing here? The Mariners fans are getting a little, uh, a little, te- a, little tes- yeah, a little testy. Yeah, a clamp, a little testy. What's going on? Are they improving the team or not?
1: Well, remember, they're just shooting for 54%, Mitch. So, I mean, they, Suarez, I mean, to me, it's a guy who who just wanted to be there. You know, I, well, my little thing with gas that we do on on, on um, X, mm-hmm. you know, I talked about this video game, Out of the Park Baseball, which you can pretend to be a general manager. And sometimes when guys leave in free agency, the message comes up, players are very disappointed to see so-and-so go. Mm-hmm. In in a nutshell, that's Suarez. I mean, he was an incredibly popular guy in that clubhouse. Everyone, I mean, he was a leader. He played every game last year, I think. Yep. Drove in 96 runs. I mean, it was just, and you traded him for a reliever that might be good and a backup catcher, right? I mean. Salary dump. uh, Right. Teoscar, maybe you weren't going to re-sign him anyway. And by the way, if you want to be in the Otani race, you better say you're not interested. Because that's what he said. That's what he and his people oh. have said. That if anyone talks about having good meetings with them or something, they're automatically you out. Don't,
0: you don't think, are you suggesting that the Mariners are actually in the Otani race and they're just playing possum right now or not?
1: I think, I think. well, so is everyone else who's not talking about them. Um, yeah, I think they're in it. Oh. I, I, don't know if they, I don't know if they're leading it, but no. I think they're competing for it. I think, you know, they went in it the first time around. They pushed it out of them real hard. And, you know, this is a team that once upon a time paid $275 million or something for Robinson Cano. So that they're willing to, they have been shown the ability to step up beforehand. Now you're gonna to have to do a lot better than that, obviously to get Otani. It's gonna you're gonna to have to break the bank like it's never been broken before. I think everyone knows that, and it still might not be enough if he wants to stay in LA. But you know he's not acting like he wants to stay in LA. If he was, was fate accompli, if he was going to the Dodgers, he would have gone. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are any I think anyone and everyone is in that race, you know, who wanted to be and those who are. We're saying that they, well, no one's going to say they've had a conversation with him now because his side has made it very clear that, that they don't want that to happen. But look, if the Mariners do that, I mean, if they had done that last year, is that worth one or two games? If say it could have happened last year, I mean, that's what, you're, that's what you're talking about improving, right? 89 win team this year. It's not like a 65 win club or something like that. You're joining a team that was in the playoffs two years ago, just missed them by a hair's breadth this year with young, a young star. You know in the field for you with a pitching staff that you're not completely you know dependent on you' got other good young starters there as well mm-hmm. what would be a smarter move for them to, to go <sighs> to sell out for him and get every, do everything they can to get him and then talk about the damage you've done to the fan base you know all the other ex- extraneous things that have gone on isn't this the band-aid that would solve everything there's
0: got to be two things a they've got to be willing to spend the money which yep. i which i que- I question both of these two things they got to be willing to spend the money I question it. And he's got to be desirous of coming to Seattle. I question it. That's why I don't think it will get done. And when it doesn't get done, whether it's because they don't want to do it or mm-hmm. they just can't do it, then what do they do, Graz? Are you interested in one year of Juan Soto? Juan Soto is uh, represented by Scott Boris. I would imagine he's going to ask for incredible amounts of money a year from now. He will definitely not do an extension right now with whatever team would trade for him. So whoever's going to trade for him would have to give San Diego a a really good package of prospects. You'd have to mortgage a good chunk of your farm, and you'd only be getting Soto in right field for a year. Are you doing that, Cross?
1: No. No, I'm not. Not for a year. I mean, if you could, if you uh, at a belief that you could re-sign him, and you, supposedly you have a decent relationship with Boros, then yeah. But otherwise, no. I'm not giving up a couple of chunks of of of, of what I've got for a guy for one year. No, and I, I will say, you know, the other thing about Otani is, he's the only the only other team, only the city I've ever heard him talk. The only city I've ever heard him talk about was Seattle, where he said at the All-Star game that it was nice to hear the fans chanting, and that he spends a lot of time up here. I mean, aren't those aren't these little little oh. signs that there might be something there, Mitchy? Graz. I know, I know, I know. It's, Come it's, on, guys. It's, it it it's another win, but but you know, we'll we'll see. Graz. Occasionally, they've jumped up. We'll see if they do. Graz, I need you to turn those headphones up a little bit higher so
0: that you can hear what you're actually saying. <laughs> <laughs> that a that a Seattle Mariners baseball team. Would give this guy what is it, fifty million a year?
1: I think it's I think it's $750 million of overall probably, <laughs> contract.
0: Pump him up. <laughs> I think what he's gonna I, cost. I don't, I don't think you're gonna I don't think you're hearing what's coming out of your own mouth right now. <laughs> he's uh, gonna cost a fortune,
1: but I'll tell you uh, what, man. I okay. mean, he puts you right there.
0: Let's finish with Tiger. You and I are Tiger Woods fans, are we not? Yes, sir. How do you feel about the fact that he he's playing he not only played in his own tournament, but there's now uh, some suspense. Some substantial reports that he's going to play once a month this year. He feels well enough to be able to rev it up to play in the majors and maybe three or four other tournaments. So one tournament a month over seven months. Would you uh, would you welcome that? Would you be happy with that?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, Mitch, it's, it's funny. I mean, I can't think of another guy can who's got a, as a bigger impact on his sport still than Tiger Woods has on the PGA Tour. I mean, the PGA Tour. Is incredibly entertaining. I mean, you're, you follow it much closer than I do, but you got a lot of good young players, a lot of them, and yet you hear the name Tiger, and it's forget about all them. What about him? What about him? He, he just he stands astride golf like a colossus. Yeah. And and I, I always always has and always will. So I think back monthly is great. I thought we were going to say back for the majors maybe.
0: They're talking about seven tournaments, eight tournaments, four, and maybe three others if everything goes well in his health.
1: Speaking of NILs, imagine how much competition is going to be for for getting him a year tournament. I mean, geez, Uh, no, I think it would be, I think it would be absolutely outstanding if he can come back.
0: And And just to double down on what you said, and you said it properly, which is with all the great young players, which is interesting to watch without tiger tiger steps onto the golf course and everything changes to double down that, look at the faces of every one of those young players all these young players bring us to the game of golf, the Rory McIlwain, and you got Rory's not so young anymore, but you get the point. When, when Tiger shows up, look at those faces of those young players. It's like the Messiah. It's yep. like, oh, my God, pair me with him. This is going to be awesome. I want to be in that tournament because he's in that tournament. Their faces tell the entire story about what that guy means to the sport.
1: And this is after being in the spotlight for 25, 30 years. What is he, 46 now? Yeah, 47, maybe, 46, yeah. 46, 47? Uh, yeah. He's been a been a pro since 20. or. Like I said, I like that line that I said before. He stands above the sport like a colossus. There's, there's no one else I can think of, individual, who has that kind of impact on their sport. Whoever did. Maybe Muhammad Ali. Maybe, but I mean, you know, there were a lot of other good fighters around there then, but Ali, you know, maybe for other things as much as fighting. Yeah. Whereas Tiger you're just talking about his presence on the golf course, not necessarily his personality or anything like that, just what he what he means on the golf course. Maybe it's, Dave it's, it's Grosby
0: maybe Dave Grosby stands above the, the radio world here in Seattle like a colossus. Maybe I should be well,
1: calling you the Colossus this week. You're only saying that because you, you like that Miami Dolphin ticket I got you. <laughs> oh. They're looking very good, Mitchie the Kid. <laughs> They're looking very, very good. I do. Although i got to tell you a real quick thing out the door. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you watching the Hard Knocks? I don't watch the Hard Knocks, no. Hard Knocks, they do a, they do a preseason one, and they, and they an started in- last year doing an in-season one. Miami is and the in-season. Miami season. is the in-season one right. this year. So yeah. I, was watching, I watched the second episode last night with my wife. And she's watching it, and and I tell her, "Look, at, I want you to look at the Miami head coach, yeah, because he's not like anyone you've ever no. seen before." <laughs> and, and we look at him, and about halfway through, my wife says, "Why do people listen to him? He's just <laughs> looks like a little nerd." <laughs> Why? She looks him up. And he's a wide receiver from Yale. Yeah, and, I said, and he does. He's a completely different approach. And completely. and I said to her, "I said, you know, I I don't really know. I don't follow the team closely enough, but they're winning." And that usually means guys will follow you. Yeah. So is that, is that why they're following him? Cause they're yeah, successful? yeah. Cause- and he
0: also doesn't want to be thought of in the same mold, the antiquated mold of a coach. He wants to be considered a young guy. He dresses young. He talks young. He wears the shades. He, he wants to be perceived more as a player than he is. a co- He's just different in it
1: that regard. He looks like he's 5'7", 125 pounds. <laughs> but, he, I mean, they are listening. They are listening, oh, and they're playing really, really man. well. Play good. Don't say that too loud.
0: Now, turn your headsets <laughs> down, Graz. Turn them down. I don't want you to hear what you're saying. Okay? That's it. Episode 265. I love the Graz. Thank you, Graz. Thanks for doing it.
1: Thanks, Mitchie. Always appreciate it, and happy holidays, everyone.
0: Episode 265 is
7: in the books.